Hi, Eric. Hello, Jay. Hey, let, let's talk about circus schools now, for real. <laughs> All right? All right. Well, you know, Ivar had this idea. He's been telling me for a few years now. And it's kind of like every other Ivar idea that when he first says it, I think it's kind of crazy. I think it's kind of inspirational, but I also don't quite believe it or even understand what it means. But he's been saying for a while that in his mind, juggling is no longer part of circus. And I think that's really comes from the viewpoint of a, of a circus school and a circus institution where he's, he's, he's been telling me, yeah, but juggling isn't really the same as the other things that are going on here in this institution. And so I, I've been thinking about that a lot the past few years. And I, I come to definitely, I think I definitely agree with him now. And again, this is from a certain viewpoint, of course. I mean, juggling historically does come from circus. You can't escape that. But what is circus today and what is juggling today and what do they share inside of the educational institution? I mean, a couple of distinctions that come to mind pretty easily is that, for example, if you compare juggling to the other circus disciplines, which we could say are what tight, tight wire, hand-to-hand uh, -hand acrobatics, handstand or hand balancing, uh, acrobatics like teeterboard, aerial acrobatics like trapeze, uh, tissue. Um, we have like roussier. Uh, anything else I missed there? Well, <clears throat> there's a couple of things that are normally associated with the circus, but they have already left circus school, like clown, for example. Or, or I should now I'm talking about Sweden. Okay. But but clown education in Sweden is now part of theater, uh, the theater education. Right. So we don't have a clown. Uh, you can't have clown as a discipline in, in the circus school. You they they do clown courses. Yeah. But as a a main main thing like that, yeah. then you go to theater school. So that has already, in one way, that has already migrated in terms of education. Sure. So maybe what Eva is referring to is some similar okay, type sure. of migration. But well, if we if we kind of look at juggling and, and compare them to what else is going on in that building. <laughs> let's say i mean one thing you could start to observe is that the depth of juggling culture compared compared to the other disciplines it's it seems to me at least to be not even hardly comparable just in the way that juggling is so much deeper and so much more active in terms of a community i mean i can i can look around at things and say there's a juggling festival and it's kind of hard to um i mean i know there have been these like fedex meetings of chinese pole like we're going to do the FedEx poll week or whatever. But that's a little bit unusual, whereas like you can find a juggling festival pretty much every month of the year in many different countries. Like That's a pretty solid, <laughs> you were saying data points before or whatever, but it's a pretty solid observation that you, that's a fact. Um, you also have, you know, uh, yeah, juggling forums and groups and histories of those things and other kind of parts of the culture that I, I also don't see as much of from the other disciplines that could be a symptom that i don't do the other disciplines right and i don't actively follow it but i think i try to kind of look out for what's going on inside in terms of the world and i just don't see much that filters down to me at least um whereas with juggling there's a pretty robust community i mean i know i talk a lot about it how the community is so fragile and so small mm -hmm. but i'm comparing that to say something like skateboarding if we want to talk about tight wire walkers i think the jugglers are doing pretty good in terms of numbers and and depth of their their interacting with their their engagement 
Right, yeah, <clears throat> for sure. There's no question that juggling also exists outside of circus as its own subculture, as its own mm. uh, thing. Right. There's no question about that. Just a clarification, you, you mentioned earlier, you said FedEx, so that's the Federation of Circus Schools. Mm-hmm. Is it internationally or just in Europe? I think it's international. Okay. But yeah, I don't well, know. So they have organized these... Themed weeks. There you go. Yeah, we're going to do the hand-to-hand acrobatic week, and then all the schools send their hand-to-hand acrobats together. And they've done a juggling week, I think. Maybe they have. and But anyways, that's as close as you would get, I guess, to a, the festival. equivalent of a juggling festival. Exactly, yeah. But for Chinese pole or handstand or teeterboard. And so I think as a result of, of juggling having this very robust uh, history and kind of culture, and what I mean, the culture, I mean, um, you get, um, well, you, you get a couple things. <laughs> One is I think you get, in many ways, a... Uh, deeper development of the practice. Okay, that could be a controversial statement, but there's just so many more people doing it, so much more. You seem to get many more variations and, and much more forward movement somehow inside of the technique. I don't know. Again, I don't practice these other disciplines, so I'm kind of speaking out of turn. Yeah. But one thing I can say is that that's kind of um, also clear is that in juggling, because you do have this big community, it's so funny that you have such a diversity of activities that are coming. Because we're going back to the definition of juggling. It's a group of activities. Mm. If, if you look, I think it's hilarious. Uh, if you look at circus school as an institution and you go, you break it down by discipline. And then you have this discipline called juggling. It's, it's kind of hilarious if you compare it to the other disciplines. For example... I think many times you say, if you have these casual conversations and you say, what are you going to circus school for? Or what do you do in circus school? What's your main discipline? Somebody will say rope or somebody will say part uh, pair trapeze or, you know, dance trapeze. Nobody says I go to school for aerials or I go to school for aerial acrobatics or whatever. But in, well, what do you go to school for? I go to school for juggling. Oh, well, what do you do? And I remember the one year we had the class with Onni Toivonen doing clubs. We had Guillaume doing Diablo. And we had Nelly doing foot juggling. <laughs> in the same class. In the same hour, uh, hours of teaching. And yeah. as if they were doing the same thing. And I understand that it's, mm. again, this is not so easy just to draw these parallels so accurately. But there is just a diversity of activities under the umbrella of the word juggling that I think makes it very different than a lot of the other disciplines. Just the sheer variations of props and ways and styles. And it seems to be a little bit different than, say, Chinese pole. Yeah, it would be pretty interesting to see a class where you had teeterboard, Russian swing, and Russian bar at the same time. Yeah, because it's all... Yeah, exactly. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think we have this 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 depth of the community also yeah leads to a, a, a diversity of, of material what you what are you supposed to be working on like what are you teaching like what are we doing here in juggling yeah. it's just a bigger field to deal with um, and then another another thing too that's pretty easily observable is that well I can juggle I mean when I was a teenager I would literally juggle for twelve hours a day. Yeah, I, I would I would come 
well, I would juggle because it's 16 hours a day when we didn't have school. But, you know, some days I get home at like two in the afternoon from school and I juggle to two till two at night. And I could just physically do that. Whereas if you look at these other circus disciplines, let's say, let's say teeterboard. Again, I don't do teeterboard. I've never heard or seen or talked to any of my friends who do teeterboard where they've done it for 12 hours in a row on a daily basis. That physically it's more demanding. Yeah. And so with, with juggling, there's a different type of physicality. For sure, I would get tired out you know, in my 12-hour session, but I could somehow diversify my, my physical practice to a different sort of technique to the point where I could keep going. Yeah, for 12 hours. Or no, I have the same experience. So that's also a really different... So what I mean is what you get a result of that is you get a result of a different sort of rhythm in terms of learning that technique or skill or investigating that practice. Um, it's a different kind of rhythm than the other circus disciplines that are happening in the in that same building. So that's one uh, another uh, pretty clear observation. Um in terms of this idea that Ivar is saying, like, well, look, we have juggling, but it's it's uh, it's uh, it's not really part of circus anymore in terms of the circus school educational institution. It has kind of gone so far into these different directions that it's kind of becoming its own thing, maybe like you're saying clown or something. Mm-hmm. And to speak about that diversity in class, I always tell the students, um, and I'm, I'm glad, like, these are stories I tell a lot and I'm so happy to tell them here and then be done telling them, but I'll say it now to collect everything in one place. But because we have this, you know, because the administration or however it goes will, and the culture, you end up with a class where you have a foot juggler, a Diabloist and a club juggler in the same room and you should teach them all at the same time. Well, what do you do? Well, either you divide that class into thirds and you go, now we're going to work on foot juggling. So the other two people can, Go take a nap. Mm. Or what if you're not going to do that? What if you don't want to cut out a, a third of the education or two thirds of the education for each student? So we're going to work together. Well, we can't work on technique only. Technique uh, for for well for two reasons. The one is just that literally, if you start working on Diablo technique without any sort of conceptual translation to foot juggling technique, it doesn't. It literally doesn't work. It's literally physically impossible. So to come into a class and say, okay, today we're going to work on cigars and hats. Well, maybe one of the students out of the group is going to be happy because it's relevant to them somehow in an immediate way. Maybe they're doing ring juggling at least where they flip in the hat to the head could be a ring flip into their neck or something. Or maybe they do literally work with cigars and hats. But unless there's some sort of conceptual guidance to help them translate these experiences of working with a hat and a cigar and how could that be relevant to my Diablo practice, mm-hmm. then it's a pretty hard task <laughs> or, or it's a pretty inefficient situation, I would say. It's, it's kind of a waste of time and, and energy, mostly, I found. And uh, I want to say, though, in general, just kind of related to that, I think one of the most beneficial things you can do in an institutional juggling education is you can work with objects you don't normally use so i definitely if you're a club juggler i think the best thing you could do would be to work with a cigar or a hat mm-hmm. or a cup or a chair or whatever because it because it breaks you out of your habits and your your all these things that you your unconsciousness it brings 
new ideas and new ways to look at the world and all these things. But that's with guidance and that's with a structure that's formulated in that in the, in that way on purpose in that direction. And so the other the other reason, um, in terms of just teaching specific techniques in a class, I don't find it to be relevant is because, yeah, juggling takes a long time to learn, and you don't need that hands-on approach from a coach so that you don't die. So sure, I guess maybe learning handstand takes a while to learn. Like you don't just learn it in an hour. But I think from what I understand, and again, not a handstander here, <laughs> um, you kind of need, you really can benefit from a coach helping you to get the correct position through the entire time of the training. Mm. It's very easy for you to unconsciously kind of go into the wrong position and then be training the wrong thing, for example. But for, so, so maybe you kind of need a coach, like you would really benefit from a coach there the whole time of learning or not the whole time, but a lot of, a majority of the time. Right. Whereas with juggling, well, okay, we can, we can discuss the techniques of how do you have your grip mm -hmm. for your four balls in one hand to do seven balls with three balls in the other hand for your release. Right. But once that's been discussed and kind of observed from a, a very basic starting point, I don't need to be there. I don't need to suffer through you dropping seven balls for the next year. I don't think I don't find that to be a very useful, efficient uh, use of my time, and at least in terms of a circus juggling education in an institution at a university level. But again, this goes back to what is your goal and what are the parameters set out by the education that says they're going to try to achieve, etc. I get that. If it's a prep, if and in this way, I, I'm going to give an opinion and say if it's a preparatory course, I could say the point would be to learn technique to learn basic technique, like seven ball cascade. But at a university level course, and we're going to get into this later, you look around at what are the other art arts doing or the other people doing at that level, and I don't think it's learning like basic things like how to release four balls from your right hand or whatever. So then in terms of a, being a coach or a teacher or whatever you want to say, a mentor, in terms of the rhythm or the span of time it takes to learn a juggling technique physically, uh, I don't really need to be a part of that actively, hands-on, through that entire process. And sure, would it be nice that I'm there in front of you, Eric, while you're learning your nine-ball cascade, that every single time I'm like, well, your left hand threw a centimeter too low, and the fifth ball from your right hand was a little bit in front of you, and you moved your feet, and you... Let me pick up the balls for you, like like Nick is... I mean, Nick is doing the ball boy for Anthony with the, the fishing net, right? Yeah. Would that be nice for you? Maybe. Maybe it would help motivate you better... Maybe I, I could be a cheerleader and have moral support. But in terms of the actual, again, technique, I still believe that we're not to the limit of human ability with juggling. There's not this exact form that you even need to have. I mean, you, you see, look, look around at the world, man. You can see some really terrible seven ball patterns that don't fall down. Yeah. Um, so that's fine. There's no problem with that. Um, unless you start to put a bigger structure on things um, where, I mean, but again, even that still I find to be conceptual instead of the actual nuts and bolts of learning a technique. I, I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of like in Kiev at the school with Yuri and he's teaching that the seven ball pattern should be really tall and high and narrow. But when we come back to that, that's not a technical reason. That's aesthetical reason, which I think is a, it's so wonderful that juggling has progressed far enough that we can start to talk about the aesthetics of a technique rather than the logistics of a technique. I think that's so cool that we start to impose aesthetic uh, values upon the technique rather than just the 
physicality or whatever you want to say in terms of the logistics of what's the best way to do it or the only way to do it or the possible way to do it. Um, but yeah, I digress. So, so getting back to this idea then of comparing juggling with other circus disciplines inside the same institution of a circus school. Well, one thing is that teaching technique can kind of happen more autonomously uh, for the students on their own. Therefore, what are you going to do in class if you're not going to teach technique? And uh, what are you going to do in class if you're going to have a bunch of different techniques under the same umbrella of the word juggling? What are you going to do? And then, I mean, I eventually came up with this idea of, uh, of teaching concepts. And then you kind of break it down into smaller concepts where these concepts can be applied to any sort of technique. And not only the type of technique, such as Diablo versus foot juggling, but also the skill level that the student has on an individual level with that technique. So you start to do these little um, conceptual ideas, like do a sequence of five and a half throws, for example. Well, anybody can do that with any sort of prop, with any sort of skill level. Yeah. I mean, you're going you're gonna to complete it to more or less degrees of success, depending on what's your expectation and what's your end goal with that. But it's still accessible to anybody. Your mom could do it, right? I mean, it just depends on what's, what are we trying to teach here. I mean, that's something we, we, we're going to get into. What are we trying to teach? And what is the point of all the education? But going back to this idea then that juggling is perhaps leaving this area of circus institutional education, when I look out of the window, when I'm in the juggling, well, we call it the juggling room because we're creating a myth that there's such thing as a juggling room in the school. It's the room that we get to juggle in sometimes because it's not the juggling room because sometimes you come in and there's a trapeze rigged. But anyway, <laughs> when I'm in that juggling room and I look out the window at the other uh, classes happening in the hall, I don't really see this type of conceptual work going on. And again, it could just be my limited experience. Maybe it does go on and I don't see it. But what I mostly see is, in the other disciplines, is the teaching of a technique, or at least the investigation of a specific technique in more of an organic or fluid way, instead of an external conceptual structure being imposed upon the work to see what turns out. And I think that's just the nature of the, of the technique of these different things. I mean, it's so easy to twist and and mutate and, and uh, yeah, otherwise destroy and, and rearrange the, the technique of juggling compared to, for example, I guess, doing a triple backflip on a teeter board. Like juggling is way more forgiving to take risks and to try things that might fail or also, but, it's, but you can also find it in juggling too, don't get me wrong, in terms of the, it's that old thing of like, you see these acts or these performances or sequences or whatever where a juggler is doing, let's say, some three-ball juggling with a lot of body movement, and it's all really dance-based, and there's a lot of covering different areas of the stage and changing levels and everything with the three balls, and the rhythm is broken, and the three balls are being surprising and staccato and whatever. And then <clears throat> when they pick up five balls, well, they're not moving around as much, and the juggling is way more straightforward and less broken up and less eclectic. And... Then when they get to the seven ball finale, well, they're just their feet are in one spot on the stage, and they don't. So this this increase of technique leads to less uh, immediate options, maybe for twisting and mutating the technique and taking different explorations. Yeah, I think you have to take into consideration what part of the technical spectrum you're operating in. So, for an example, like you were saying, you you have more freedom to 
explore juggling conceptually perhaps with three objects than you do with five or nine definitely at least if if the if the foundation is that you have to keep all those right. nine objects active, active in in a pattern yeah. right throw by throwing and catching there's not that much you can do and maybe then you can compare that to the triple back on the teeter board let's right. say but uh, but then you can you can think about this from a number of perspectives so like i could first of all you could take teeter board then ex as an example and you could go okay what if we just remove flips entirely and we just look at the just the jump you know mm -hmm. just you're flying through the air and you're gonna land on a crash mat C could you then could you then uh, approach that with from a conceptual uh, from a per, in a, a conceptual way like you were doing with the juggling and maybe you could I don't know and maybe they do we don't and know. maybe they do maybe yeah. someone does that somewhere exactly <clears throat> and then then the question is if they don't wh why not that's an interesting conversation and maybe I'm also confused I don't know teeterboard and acrobatics that well like maybe. Like what, what you could instead of saying no no flips you could say okay what is the limit of 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 in in the technical spec spectrum where I can still have so much freedom that I can explore whatever it is that I am doing conceptually yeah like that's interesting to think about mm. uh, and for any discipline right yeah like where are we located in in this spectrum one thing that i have done uh, a lot of times in when i'm teaching in, in the circus school and not just for the jugglers and this is a conversation that i love having with the students so i give them i ask them two questions and then we have this conversation so the first question i ask is in your discipline whether it's teeterboard acrobatics aerial silk juggling whatever it is what is the most minimal thing that you can think of that you have seen anybody do or that you do and that's that's the first conversation minimal in what way well that's up to interpretation cool. because it's a conversation so let's say if we take acrobatics okay what what's the most minimal thing i can do in acrobatics and it's always fun like i, I you know they think a little bit about that and then i and i say okay let, let's let's try some stuff here so I, I walk across the room and then i say okay am i doing acrobatics now mm. uh yeah i don't know maybe that's not acrobatics yet okay so i haven't and which is fine like we don't have to we don't have to be yeah pretend that we're all knowing in any way it's just a discussion so then okay as i do the same thing and i make a little skip you know in, in the middle of the floor okay was i doing acrobatics now yeah yeah maybe someone thinks that i was doing that and someone thinks oh maybe you have to do a little bit more you know but at some point we're gonna find yeah some way of of uh concretizing the most minimal thing mm. that we can do in in this example acrobatics okay so then when that and then we do that for for everybody for all the disciplines and then the next question is okay what's the most dynamic most explosive explosive most the maximum the maximum however however you want to conceptualize it right. the maximum maximum activity that you could do that's within your circus discipline and mm. then we have the same conversation and after that's done then you can say okay you have just established a spectrum here 
from minimal to maximum. And can I ask really quick, yeah. like on the maximum conversation, yeah. Yeah. do people give you fictional examples or do they give you real life examples? Or is it kind of like the most craziest juggling I could imagine would be blah? <laughs> well, I try to keep it within within reality. Yeah. So usually I say it's either something you have seen that someone in your discipline okay. is doing yeah. or something that you, you know, could imagine learning or like we, we, we don't, we're not going to do, you know, 50 back somersaults into, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Do you remember any answers anybody had for juggling the maximum? Just any fun ones that come to mind? Any fun ones? Or just, you know, I mean, one comes to my mind would be like the Alexander kiss on the Right, rising rollabola with the balance and the eight rings or whatever. Yeah, there's been a couple of those. Yeah. Um, or like the Anthony Gatto eleven ring pull down under a head ball. Yeah, sometimes bounce. people pull up like real records since uh -huh. we have that in juggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you could say, yeah, twelve rings yeah. or thirty or whatever the record mm -hmm. is, right? Nine mm -hmm. clubs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Nine club cascade. Okay, that's the maximum. Oh, okay. Right. And what I do then is that then I say, okay, that's that's not a bad one or you know there's nothing wrong with that but maybe you can you know conceptualize it in some other uh, direction mm -hmm. let's say you know okay then someone might try you know like juggling a ball a knife a club a <laughs> ring you know then they, mm -hmm. they kind of expand the juggling yeah. in some other direction yeah or you know it could be like Balancing a stick on the foot, uh, bouncing a while bouncing a ball on the head, while you know, did, 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 and you kind of build it like that. And it's good to have a couple of those. I don't think you have you need necessarily conceptualize that maximum with one data point. Mm. It could be a number of things. You don't have to. It's more of that feeling, you know, get a feeling of somewhere around here we're yeah. starting to max out. Yeah. Right. Hey, Albert, can I? Can you hold your thought? Yeah. And we got back into that because this brings up one thing I wanted to ask you. I don't know where else it really fits, but mm. um, this idea of juggling technique—it's funny. This idea of maximum, and, and you say, in what way are you going to explain it's the maximum, most crazy, extreme, whatever? I mean, it really reminds me of this idea that, especially when WJF came around, that Jason had made uh, this point system that you're going to get points for doing different sorts mm -hmm. of—he called them moves. Uh, with his technical language <laughs> moves and uh, you would get a value for example for doing five club singles and if you start to kind of think about it I mean I wrote an article about this and it was like this idea that traditionally you, you with five clubs you use double spins and then if you do single spins it's a variation therefore it's technically harder but the thing is it's only relative it's only relative to what you start with and what the community kind of establishes and I find it more uh, even more obvious uh, recently when people are talking about oh man somebody was trying to bounce two balls on their head that's just completely insane and crazy and so hard and so difficult and I agree it is too but it's only relative in that nobody practices it today and nobody else does it today I mean back yeah you know better than me there was you know three people performing that trick uh, on stage not, not just even in practice right and so this idea that we have of technical difficulty i've been really trying to crack that in my brain like how can we concretely talk about true technical difficulty and i haven't figured it out but there seems to be an aspect of technical difficulty is just relative to how exotic 
the technique is, at least in terms of the culture, the established culture, right? I mean... Yeah, I think if you for real want to have that conversation of, about what is, you know, the technical limit or what is difficult, you have to have a larger number of people doing it so that it's not just uh, mm. something exotic An yeah. or anomaly or... Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the best example to show how, how much something just exploded is the Diablo technique mm -hmm. like when when yeah. you and me were you know growing up even two Diablos oh, yeah. was like yeah. considered like a really difficult thing and three was just like well, I mean in 89 you know Michael Menez at the IJA festival in Baltimore you know he could do two Diablos but he couldn't steer them mm. so he would do the two Diablos in the circle on the string low until they would get out of line and fall off the string but there was no way to you know right, fix right. that and then Jeff Mason came along um, and and was doing high throws at the two and could kind of steer a little bit. And, mm. you know, Are you sure you got the years right there? Because Jeff Mason, he won in before. 88. Yeah. Right. No, I probably got it wrong. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember, I, remember, I remember Michael Menez in the gym in 89 in Baltimore doing okay. the two Diablos low. Okay. But yeah, you're right. Mason was before that. I don't know. Anyway. Anyways, that, but what, what happens... After that is, you know, some one or two people started I doing three. I mean, Guy Heathcote three. had the three in the triangle shape at the BJC every year. Like, Guy Heathcote was the one mm. doing the three Diablos low. Mm. And he had, but it was like a triangle shape instead of the circle. And then he just didn't, had, a, had a different technique of, mm. how, of how it worked. Okay. And, but now, nowadays, I mean, you see these videos of people on Instagram doing five low. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like a lot of people started doing it and also like small te technical uh, innovations like how to th start Three Diablos low, the, the trash yeah. rap that yeah. that French yeah. uh, Diablo juggler called, <laughs> nicknamed Trash. Yeah, yeah. He came up with some way to efficiently start Three Diablos low yeah. so you didn't have to chuck them super high and then go low. Yeah. So that, so you have uh, the conclusion is I think you you can't just say that something is hard. You have to mm. there has to be a significant number of people fiddling with it for mm. some time at least mm. before you can make right uh, to kind of flatten out the curve, <laughs> you know, of of right. of, of uh, technical progression because mm. I think that that's what's going to happen like eventually with Diablo we're going to see flattening of the curve because mm. there's so many people doing it and eventually you run into real yeah the real technical exactly. difficulty and like in terms of bouncing two balls on the head we don't know where that limit is yet because right. there's just too few people doing it yes okay yeah. cool great so back to the Back to the story. All right, so back to the story. Uh, so yeah, the two those two uh, questions: where's the minimum, and then where's the maximum, and then when that's established, then you have some kind of conceptualization of your spectrum of your discipline in terms of right. Uh, yeah, in terms of what what that contains. Right. I mean, the one thing that I remember one guy Hugo Berryman who does uh, Rosir or the single single loop single wheel he had that was funny he said that yeah the most extreme you know explosive thing that's a trick that i came up with it's called champagne 
and he and then he took out his phone and showed a video of him doing it yeah which was funny in that context of, of having that discussion like because of course that has never happened before in that, right. in that class but mm. someone's like yep it's 15 rings here's me doing it <laughs> you know yeah yeah that's funny <laughs> so that was funny but uh but but back to connect this to what we were talking about earlier this this where in that spectrum can you situate yourself for some kind of exploration that's mm. more conceptual than technical right i think that that is a very interesting artistic question for any circuit discipline right right and for sure, we're, gonna, we're not going to find out that straight away. And maybe there is a way to conceptually, dis, you know, investigate nine ball cascade and three ball, three, you know, the triple back somersault with double yeah. spin, whatever they do, you right, know. Right, right, right. Maybe there is. It's just that we haven't figured that out yet. But for sure, it's going to be easier to first look in the spectrum of spectrum of dynamics and find a place there where we can definitely say oh here we have enough you know wiggle room to explore this conceptually and what happens when we do that and what happens when we apply uh this type of creative thinking on this part of the spectrum Mm -hmm. did you ever maybe you don't have an answer for this i mean i never asked you but did you ever think about because uh, you've been teaching at the, you've been teaching classes at the Circus University f- uh, for the whole class and for the jugglers a lot recently in the past couple of years. Did you ever think about like, do you have any knowledge of what else, what what goes on in a university level class in other sorts of fields, like chemistry or mathematics or history or dance even or other art forms like uh, we talked about before about how art school is post media for example. But do you have any sort of awareness of other, of what's happening and at that kind of level in terms of, like, on what level are they working, you know? Like, if you're going to, yeah. I, I have no knowledge of this, but, like, let's say you're going to go to university for chemistry. You're going to learn the periodic table? Or maybe you already know that. And this, <laughs> But, you know, this conversation you had with you, with this guy who was doing psychology and just yeah. had this basic course. I mean, are you aware of anything more than that? Or... Did you ever think about that in relationship to the juggling program in this university course? I can't say I've looked more into it than just generally speaking that most fields that are established, that they have some kind of course that gives them, you know, foundational knowledge, however that is defined, right? Yeah. Even if it's even if it's psychology or philosophy or you know architecture, mm. like there is that, that, and for sure, for sure, there's going to be fields where where that is not the case. You just approach it, you know, technically from from the get go. For sure, there's something like that. Uh, but but it seems to me that it would be beneficial for juggling and circus to do that well here so i don't know what you think about this this is something i've wrestled with a lot before because a lot of this uh academic circus juggling stuff for me really feels like a chicken and the egg situation um and i can try to explain that but the 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 point i wanted to get to and ask you about is i've struggled with this idea that is the program of what we're doing 
in that room with a juggling education and an institution. Is that program a theoretical ideal that we kind of conceive uh, conceive that exists independent of the reality we're living in? Or is that or is the program really only based upon those people in the room? And let me explain what that means. So for example, you can say, okay, let's let's make a let's make an education for juggling. Um, inside of an institution, well, we can have uh, we could we could even start to say, well, we have youth we have youth circus programs from when the kids are five years old. You can go to youth circus and kind of have a organized, codified even experience with learning these disciplines and juggling included. And then out of youth circus, you can have a a high school, a circus high school. I mean, that exists too. It exists here in Sweden, right? And then before you get to university level, you can even have a preparatory course like sort of circus education. And this is where the language breaks down a little bit, but like it's a little bit of a college before university. I think you guys talk about it in Sweden like that sometimes. I don't know. What, what do you call a preparatory course? It's just a preparatory course. That's, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's more than a gymnasium, high school uh, level. But Yeah, I mean, saying? sometimes there's educations that exist kind of in between there. Okay, that's what I'm talking yeah, about, right? Yeah. But you have this whole, like, what I'm trying to, to the layout here is this whole sort of system in place that you could find a continuity of mm. this education, right? Right, yeah. So when you get to a university level, then conceptually, theoretically, at what level are we working at? So are we working at a kind of uh, idealistic, uh, we have a, we have an idea in mind that if you follow this progression of this education, where do we find the, first of all, you have to establish what goal you're working towards, Right. But then you can look backwards into the real world and say, well, maybe if my goal is to learn seven balls, cascade, that's the point of the education and the end of the university. Well, I can find that already in the preparatory school. So then the university program is redundant or just not needed, right? So so do you, do you, so I've struggled with this a lot. Do you kind of conceive of that university level program as a continuation of what already exists in the world? And then you kind of end up with this theoretical ideal where you say, okay, I'm going to make this circus university course in, a, in an institution, and then it's going to be filled with students who will aspire and kind of fill out that uh, theoretical goal. Mm. Or is it that you end up in a room with a bunch of young jugglers, and you look around the room and you say, well, this is what I'm working with. This is the university level course. It means this juggler can do five balls. This juggler can do four balls. Well, that juggler's going to have to, the first one's going to have to learn six, and the next one's going to have to learn five. You know what I mean? Do you, you understand at all what I'm saying? Um, yeah, there's not, uh, there's not, there, there doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like there is some kind of level that you know that you have passed because now you're in university. Okay. In terms of technical or thinking like yeah i mean these things are really really difficult to evaluate you know how do you evaluate what level you're at as a juggler well it reminds great yeah exactly well it reminds me of the conversation you just had which was um investigating a technique's difficulty well it really helps to have a lot of people doing it right to have a larger sample to kind of extrapolate from and it's the same thing in the education where it's like maybe in 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years it's much easier to understand what's the function of that program 
Whereas right now, maybe it's too new. I, I don't know if it's too new, but this idea that we have a university level, I've, kind of, I've always tried to figure out what that means. And there's definitely no answer from the institution in terms of what that means, in terms of the culture and the relationship to the, to the culture and what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, I'm not sure it means anything in terms of actual content. I think it's mm. more of about the structure outside of it. Okay. Uh, I mean, there are specific... There are, I know that there's some things, you know, if something's going to be at the university, it has to have, you know, they have to write, you know, a thesis at one point. And th yeah. There's things like that that you're going to have. But I guess maybe yeah. it comes back around to, it's related a little bit to this idea of having a foundation course or a foundation kind of established body of information that we're going to use as a starting point. Yeah. Where what I mean is, now there is no concrete dialogue about what I'm talking about right now in, uh, in terms of the institution and the program. And so it's this idea that one year you can have a class of students who are jugglers who achieve a certain result. And again, how you evaluate that result or whatever, it's very subjective right now. Yeah. And I'm not saying it should be less subjective. Right, I'm right. just saying that's how it is. Yeah. And then the next year you can have another group of students who do a completely different uh different experience which i guess in the arts is is maybe a desired uh like that that flexibility is a desirable quality to have in this sort of education right so that it's it is personal to each group of students it's not like every student who comes out of here can do 50 catches of five balls and they know michael motion's birthday and yeah. <laughs> whatever <clears throat> i mean uh, another thing i think you have to take into con consideration here is i don't think circus as a something you are educating educated in i don't think it has yet been um discerned if it's a field of knowledge like what kind of field of knowledge we're talking about because you you yeah, if you go back to like <laughs> greek stuff you know the greeks they separated knowledge in two different areas so you have episteme and techne so techne is the type of knowledge that you embody like I can do a somersault, for example. It's a knowledge that I can execute. It's it's a, the knowledge of doing, and the episteme is the 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 knowing. And circus kind of has a foot in both at the moment. It, it we haven't yet discerned. It's like you're saying you're supposed to be able to do five balls, and you gotta know Michael Motion's birthday. <laughs> That's one one of those is techne, and one of those is episteme, mm -hmm. right? So. If you're gonna, if you want to have some kind of statement about what kind of knowledge a circus education should provide you when you are, you know, th throughout its uh, duration, that you then have it when you graduate, let's say, I don't know if such a statement exists, and I don't think, I don't know if such a statement has even been, you know. Yeah. discerned w what kind of knowledge are we even talking about yeah right on well if we speak very practically let's let's talk very practically for a moment um so if i if i think about the juggling classes we've had you know in the past years um it seems to me that a, that mostly the classes are centered around the idea of composition and, and composing with the technique that you that you have or are investigating or that you can yeah, that, 
that you can that you are that you want to involve. You you, you get your technique. It's either something new you haven't done yet, or it's something you can already do. But how do you line that up with whatever else you're working with? And it turns into this idea about composition. But also then, it, again, in a reaction to this idea that are we teaching technique in juggling class? Like, is that really the best use of our time and resources for everybody involved? Maybe not. I don't think so. If we're working on concepts, what does that really mean? Well, maybe conceptually it really means what we're working on is uh, creativity. Are we teaching how to be creative? Yeah. I mean, for me, it, that, that seems to be an area that I, I kind of, a territory I kind of end up in a lot, whether I mean to or not. And then I kind of look around and think, oh, wait a second, maybe I should be more aware that I kind of always end up here because maybe there's a, some sort of larger truth there in terms of the system that we always end up into talking about creativity. There's always a natural curiosity of the students to have a creativity. They always, we always talk about, uh, at least in juggling class, we talk about what's the goal of the program and what do you want to accomplish. And many times they always name uh, two things. They say they want to do new technique uh, that's personal. So we can so that th that has like a very personal style to it. We can say, and of course those are those are qualities we can analyze and tear apart and see what's motivating them and how do you qualify like how do you know when you've come up with a new technique or not and how do you know if it's personal or not? But if we just take that as a starting point, that people want to do a new technique. Well, there's some sort of creativity going on there. Then if you're going to create something, it's, it's to make something new, you have to create it. I mean, in some way, and so. Over the years, uh, very uh, organically, <laughs> I found out that uh, I started to understand, at least for myself, in my own process, the, the curation of creativity, it can be approached as if, as if creativity was a technique. And what I mean is, I find, again, a very uh, concrete example is in circus school, we can say back in the, the circus pilots that you did, uh, circus pilotina, um, you would get a student who could not juggle seven clubs. Um, so they wanted to learn how to juggle seven clubs. So even though they wanted to learn how to juggle it, they, wouldn't, they would not expect that the first time they held seven clubs and threw them in the air, it was going to work out perfectly. Because that's a technical process where we have experience there, where we go, oh, well, we're going to fail a lot, and we're going to have incremental success. But then, over the course of the education, uh, the students at the end of the three years is, are asked to make an act, a performance. And it would be the only performance they would make, the only act, the only actual attempt at making an act for real in the three years. And yet, somehow, with this one time of of accomplishing that task it should be perfect <laughs> and i always thought that was so weird this idea that creativity or creation is a different kind of process than learning technique hmm. and i looked back at my life about how i on the farm in ohio in the barn and i realized the <laughs> my my way to deal with creativity was to approach it like it was a technique and you would seriously make 10 different three ball routines in a weekend just to see what how what would happen it wasn't about making new techniques with the three balls it was about rearranging the techniques i had yeah and trying to find a way to compose them that would that would that would create something new yeah and i really 
would practice creativity the same way I would practice uh, learning Seven Club Cascade. Yeah. And I would never approach it as, oh man, I haven't made, I never made a solo show before that's an hour long, but I guess I'll make one in the next year and it's going to be great when I'm done the first time I, in the first edit of that show. I, I didn't have that, I, which I think is some sort of, I mean, some sort of idea of a, of a process that people have in the world nowadays uh, with, with uh, how you make a, a longer piece, for example. Um, there's some sort of expectation that you go through this process kind of once, and then it's it should be it should be done. You know, it's the premiere, and then there you yeah. go. That's the piece. And so then I remember working with Jerome Tama company again. I've told this story a million times, and this will be the last time I can say it. It's that uh, in the morning with the company, we would come in to rehearsal to the rehearsal space, and we had three hours. We could do our juggling practice, our personal juggling practice. So I would practice, I would go through balls, rings, and clubs. I would do my technique training, uh, working on numbers and sight swaps and body throws and whatever, like to keep my technique up. Um, and then in the afternoon, we would do the show creation. Well, one of Jerome's company members would come in for the morning training, and this guy would come and he would change his clothes into this uh, dance attire with special shoes, like this is this is important that he would that he would put on specialized clothing. It was, it was like a ceremony, so he's 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 dressed appropriately. Then he would go to the center of the room, and do some breathing exercises for about ten or fifteen minutes. Then he would do some yoga for about an hour, with sun salutations and stretching and breathing and meditation. And he would do some more preparations. This this whole process would last last about two hours. As he would get done. <laughs> With his preparation, he would walk over to the corner of the room. He would take three balls. He would walk back to the center of the room. He would breathe, look up at the ceiling. And sometimes he would start throwing the balls. And sometimes he would juggle for the remaining hour of our, of our morning session. But many times, in fact, probably a majority of the time, two things would happen that wasn't just him continuing the juggle. He would look up at the ceiling and breathe deeply and do one or two throws and stop and then leave or he would look up at the ceiling and breathe deeply and not even throw anything and just, and just leave and take his clothes his normal clothes and leave and this happened for a couple months before i got the courage to talk to this dude and then finally casually i had the chance over lunch one day and i could say hey excuse me um you know every morning with their training i couldn't help but notice that sometimes you you juggle a lot and sometimes you don't juggle at all can you tell me what's like, what are you working on? Because it's very curious. Like, I, it's very interesting for me. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. And he said, well, I go like this. I enter the space. I prepare my body and my mind to receive inspiration. And I go to the center of the room and I do my best. And I wait for inspiration to strike me. And some days it comes, but some days it doesn't. And then I just have to wait until the next day. And I just do my best to be ready to receive this this inspiration that's that's a mystery and and uh, I can't control if it comes or not and so yeah some days I juggle and some days I don't and thank goodness I was because I was young at the time when I heard this you know early 20s or 20 years old or whatever I was thank goodness I had the presence of mind to think because um, I thought that sounded pretty tragic in the moment but at least I had the presence of mind to think like this wait a second what about my own life? What if it wasn't like every other day the inspiration doesn't come? What would be worse than that? 
And I thought the more the more terrible tragedy would be that for the next 60 years, I get the inspiration every day. And I juggle and I'm happy. And then after 60 years, <laughs> I, I go to the center of the room and I don't get that bolt of lightning into my head. And then, I do, and then I'm devastated. I don't know what to do. I'm completely destroyed, right? Mm. And so from that day on, I really consciously said, this idea that creativity is a mystery. I said, that's not true. Uh, creativity is something you can actively curate and actively cultivate and actively work on. It's the same as a technique. You just have to design your relationship to your practice so that it, it accommodates that, that side of the practice of, of your process. And so that really, re that really struck me. And this idea, um, again, going back to circus school, that many times we're, 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 we're actually what we're touching on is this idea of how how do you be creative? How do you be creative? Which be which begs the question of what is creativity? Well, I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you a quality that, that I believe that technique, uh, sorry, creativity can be practiced and learned as if it was a technique. At least mm -hmm. that's a way I've kind of it's a little metaphor I've I've built in my mind around that. And but I wanted to ask you, unless do you have something to say? Yeah, about I that? do. I do. Oh, okay, I, mean, okay. I think there's there's one word that we use so much that we have to pick it apart because there's uh, and then that's this word technique mm. because when talking about juggling it seems as if the word technique has so many different meanings and I'll I'll break down a couple of, I'll give you a couple of examples on how the word technique how I hear the word technique uh, in use so the first one would be you like you just said now when you just when you were talking about coming into the practice room uh, when you work in for Jerome Thomas, you said, yeah, I just worked on my technique, my numbers, side swaps, body throws and pirouettes. So that's like, a, then technique becomes a reference to a specific group of, of, of ways of juggling. Maybe you could say, uh, it's like a group of tricks or a group of some juggling fall into that category but for some reason some other category don't don't so it's some kind of categorization in in juggling that happens there we we can dive more deeper into it uh, after but i'll i'll say a couple of others then we can talk about a technique that let's say i have invented like you know for example me like i did a lot of exploration on the technique of head roll or I invented a technique that I call chin swing where I swing a club with my chin so then a technique is a reference to like a singular concept a singular concept yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we can also hear about yeah we can hear about Russian technique mm. So then it's a reference to a specific like a theory a theory in terms of in terms of uh, form yeah. like how you stand or you have your arm your golden points your golden point which is uh, so we've said golden point a couple of times so what that means is that the golden point in juggling is your elbow and when you talk about the golden point that should never move and it should be i think it's two fingers, two fingers. Yeah, away from, from your body. From your body, yeah. right. So when the golden point is positioned two fingers from your body, then it's <coughs> in the optimal position and it shall not move. 
that's the idea of gold point as a technique that's yeah. or or it, it's part of a theory yeah. of russian technique of right physical yeah. form physical form yeah so uh, but then we can also say for example we can talk about a juggling we can say yeah he's a technical juggler mm. and th- then it means he's a skilled juggler right yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that he's he's got some specific russian technique in him it could just be that he's like anthony gado i could say he's a technical juggler yeah. he has high technique yeah right yeah and i think i could also say maybe i could even say that someone who maybe isn't the best juggler in terms of skill level but has like a form that is very clean very clean and precise detailed there you go i could say he has nice technique yes right yeah yeah so again a reference to form yeah uh, but it, it it doesn't end there it's it, you could also say like you could also divide juggling into juggling that is technique and then the rest of juggling which then technique would be the juggling that you you're not creating right all of that juggling is just technique mm-hmm. but also you could say you could also talk about a practice technique like for example pyramid practice mm-hmm. so the 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 technique i'm not saying that this is always being referred to as a technique i don't know would you say pyramid practice is a technique or would you more say that's a method uh, who know i mean it's a method but it's, right. it is it is I mean, well whatever we're playing language games yeah, now. yeah. It's, a, it's one technique you can use to get better at a trick there you go but so in terms of if i would use pyramid practice then i would and i want to learn for example seven balls then i would do what is it 20 flashes of t- seven balls and then i would do lesser amount but like two more catches and then lesser amount and let's say a qualify and then just once i would try to do it for as long as i could let's say that would be an example of pyramid practice right yeah so the, the so technique has all these different meanings so that would be something in terms of a technical language that would be exactly something to to give each of these yeah concepts a technical term yes <laughs> would be really useful when talking yeah. about uh juggling yeah um, you your dis- disambiguation page yeah your wiki yeah so that's Wikipedia that's juggling entry yeah that's something but what what you were gonna ask me something specifically yeah about well the thing is like this this idea that that um creativity could be yeah. practiced as if it was a physical skill we can say that, right? Yeah. That you could you could approach it in the same way in terms of the process of how you're gonna investigate that. Um, it came from this motivation of the students and 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 in class, kind of we often would end up in this territory of hey, we're actually talking about creativity here, and these students have this motivation to be personal and to make something new, right? Which is kind of getting into this this one criteria would be you know you want to be creative, and so one thing I could never figure out my entire life and I was going to ask you what you think about it and I have a I have a nice Ebar story about it if we don't uh, go anywhere with it but um, my entire life in juggling my entire juggling life there's been this kind of fascination I mean with myself but it comes from the culture and the community somehow it comes from juggling whatever that whatever that means it comes from juggling itself where people tend to value 
they're always searching for the new thing. They want to do the new thing. I want to make new juggling. What's the new trick? Show me the new whatever. It's always this word new. Um, oh, you see so-and-so. They made a new trick. Oh, there's the new technique. There's the new... Even even if, it's, even if the new thing is like a, a combination of old things, you know, like... Uh, what seven seven club back crosses or something right those are two things that existed previously that you're very familiar with back crosses and seven clubs but then you do them together and it's suddenly a new sometimes it's a new trick we or we talk about it that way at least in our lives and we kind of relate to it that way i think and so i wanted to know i wanted to say that i've always had this uh, <laughs> yeah i can't I, I don't have words for it but I always had this feeling inside of me that this quest for simply something new, that there's something missing from the conversation, that this motivation just to be new, to be new, I never got it. I never really related to it. And I never felt myself striving to juggle in a new way just because I wanted it to be new. But I don't, I mean, now I have this great story from Ivar that helps me out. But at least growing up, I had no way to conceive of any of this conversation. But have you, what's your relationship to things that are new? Do you find that to be, is there something inherent about juggling? Like I, like I was talking previously in another episode about how I think research is inherent to the DNA of what juggling actually is, right? And you can pull out and highlight that quality and say, well, I'm going to do research. But I was trying to um, propose that this idea of research is inherent to kind of what we do with juggling anyway. It's part of the culture that you're exploring. So is this idea of new also just inherent in juggling somehow? Do you find new to be the... Uh... Well, <clears throat> what comes to my mind, I also certainly... <coughs> excuse me. Try to look for new things, but I wouldn't say that new... I wouldn't say that new is enough. I would say that it has to be new and also have some value... Because to create something that's new, that's very easy. It's a, what do you mean? That hasn't to do something that hasn't been done before. That is very easy to to come up with something like that. But people but to, don't. But people think that's hard. Yeah, I, I don't think they've thought about it enough. Then. <laughs> but tell me why. Just explain why it's so easy. Because it's just you have. I mean, just I know infinite my... infinite possibilities. You know. But give me an example. I mean, I know in my mind what you mean, yeah. but I don't know if it's what you <laughs> actually mean. So give me an example. Like, what would be a what would be a new trick that you could do that's so easy to make? Well, let's say I want to come up with a new object to juggle. Well, yeah. I can just look through, you know, what has been done in juggling, and then pick something that hasn't been used. And but it's not necessarily, the, or uh, you know, it it becomes these silly records. Like I was flipping pancakes on my spatula with when i was spinning a le uh, ring on my leg while chewing gum you know mm. it's so easy to come up with something that is new that's just a combination of old properties you know it's super easy to do that but the que the real question is does it have any value and that's a much harder thing to crack right yeah and especially maybe the, the chewing the gums while flipping a spatula thing has some kind of value. But when there's been a million things like that, in that conceptually in, in this, they're, they're not new conceptually, you know, they're just the same. It's just a 
new version of the same co concept, then it's not new anymore from that perspective. And then you, 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 then you have to ask yourself that question, you know, like, how do I create something that, that's new that also has some kind of value? And how do I evaluate that? Is, is that from my perspective? Which yeah. I think is that eternal artistic question, you know, like I create art for me or for my audience <laughs> or, and then you pretty soon, even if you answer that question by saying that it's for me, you pretty soon get into this whole thing about economy and, and the structure around your work and the, the, the context where you can present your work. If, if that is within your interest, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there I would like I would add that to the to the, the the quest for new like there it has to have some kind of value too and then of course how that value is being determined that's that's a conversation but I think it's new plus plus value right well so I mean Ivar has this great story about Toulouse Lautrec in the mirror so that uh, you know, along comes the mirror and you hang it on the wall and it's a sensation because it's really cool. You have a mirror now and it's like this fun thing. You can see your reflection and everything. And then somebody else comes along and says, aha, well, I'm also super innovative and cool and relevant. And then they take the mirror and they turn it 90 degrees. So that it's, instead of being vertical, now it's horizontal on the wall. Hmm. And then you go, oh yeah, well, that, okay, that's a new idea. That's a new idea. Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess you could turn it sideways. Yeah. But then comes the third person along and says, oh, I'm also going to be super cool and innovative and new. And then they take the mirror and flip it around 180 degrees. So the reflective side is facing the wall and suddenly it doesn't really work anymore. It's a it's not, it's new. Yeah. But it kind of sucks. Right. And so then he says, you know, out of this story, this idea of making new just to make something new. Obviously, that's not very productive all the time yeah. when you flip the mirror around but that you need to make uh, things that are necessary. And then when you're saying that there has to be new and there has to be another meaning, or uh, what did you say? Uh, value. Value. Well, then yeah. the, the value is, it, it needs to be necessary. So then, of course, comes the question of how do you evaluate and how, you, how do you determine and how do you think about uh, what is necessary or what is needed in that moment. But I can say at least that when, when he told me the story about the mirror and this idea of necessity, that does stick with me in the in the studio during creation all the time. And I try to think, even if I can't be completely true to it, mm. it does calm me down from this kind of, um, yeah, infinite sea of variations that you're talking about, right? Because you can just be new to be new to be new, yeah. blah, 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 blah. It never ends. So how do you navigate that and how do you come to peace and come to terms with it? And this idea of necessity really stuck with me. And there's a really... There's a little story I tell about that all the time, too, in terms of necessity, which really was a, um, obviously a strong moment in my life I never forgot, which was talking to Luke Wilson because he had his, his first three, his very, his very famous three club act or his, not three club, but his club act, sorry, his variety act with the clubs um, before he, you know, he, he made the second version with the Cornelius music. But I'm talking about the first version with the class, the piano music. Yeah. And, um, in the middle of that act, which I love, I think it has a lot of, <laughs> at the time, new <laughs> juggling, actually, uh, for whatever that means. Um, I was very impressed by the technique and the creativity and blah, blah, blah. But there's also a moment in the act where he does three clubs, and with double spins, he does one up, two up columns. And I remember um, saying to him, you know, 
man, what, what are you doing? That's such a lame trick. Like one up, two up. That's like the first thing you learn. That's so stupid. That's so lame. That's not cool. Like all the other stuff you do is so cool and technical, like, you know, whatever other variations he did. And, and uh, he just said, yeah, well, I'm not trying to be cool. <laughs> I'm not trying to be new. He said, I'm trying to do what's needed there. I'm trying to do what's appropriate, I think was the word he said. Mm. And he said, on the music, it has this rhythm of boom, boom, like one and two or whatever. Like he heard that. And he said, so I tried a bunch of different tricks there, but this was the trick that fit the best in the moment to fit the music and to fit the rhythm of what I was doing and blah, blah, blah. And then I felt really um, not ashamed, but I had definitely been taught a lesson of like, or not taught a lesson, but my mind had been opened. Oh, wait a second. What? You can evaluate from a different set of criteria than whatever, being cool or just being new or whatever. Yeah. And then I went back and watched that routine, you know, the next day after he told me that. And I was just like, oh, man, he's totally right. Like doing one up, two up there is genius, actually, because it, it totally was. I, I was just I was um, I couldn't see the bigger picture. Right. Like I was just stuck in these little moments. And he was trying to do something else. He was trying to craft an entire act, an entire performance. And he had a bunch of different levels he was working on. And I was just stuck on this one very basic level of like, oh, well, what tricks are you doing? Right. And that was pretty, pretty uh, uh, strong, strong moment for me in my life. And so this idea about making new just to be new, I always think about uh, Ivar saying things be necessary and Luke saying it should be appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish. And that really brought up this idea of like, oh, wait, what am I? I could be trying to accomplish something more. And I just, I mean, I could remind you just for fun what Ivar said about this idea of necessity. I don't know if you remember the story he said, but he said it would be so fun to try to make the most necessary performance ever in the history of the world. And how you would do that would be that you would spend, let's say, a week in this community where you would read the newspaper every single day, listen to the radio all the time. You would talk to everybody as you walked down the street constantly for a week. And then as the audience was coming in, you would you would interview each and every single person <laughs> to try to get, get some information <laughs> that you would be so uh, in tune with who your audience was and that you would have some sort of system developed that would be a flexible presentation of your material that you could really tune it exactly into that kind of vibe for that audience. I think this is a really funny idea that he proposed um, to make the most necessary performance ever. I really like that idea. That was kind of kind of fun. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, getting back on track. Um, so we were talking about circus school and, and maybe some different qualities of what you're going to teach in a juggling program in an institution. And are we going to teach, are we teaching composition? Are we teaching technique? Are we teaching concepts and creativity and all these things? Are we teaching? Yeah. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you is that following on from what are we working on here in with the students is this idea that everybody has a process and when did it become apparent to you that you have a process and when did it come become clear to you what your process was or is and what do you think a process is in general so i would love if you could talk a little bit about what it means to have a process and and how you came across this because before i let you answer uh, for me I wasn't, of course, I was aware that I had a process, but I didn't talk about it in, using the language of, of saying I had a process. 
There was just kind of different periods I went through in my artistic life that I could only discern when I looked backwards and say, oh, for the past five years, it looks like I've really been trying to work in with my creative, well, process wasn't the word I used, but in my work, I've really been trying to build community. I mean, that's not a fictional example. That's when I was doing a lot of shoebox tour stuff. I really took a step back at one point from making work that was internal to me, and I really tried to engage the world around me. And that's when a lot of the shoebox tour stuff came around or the manipulation research laboratory stuff came around. So that was a very clear and conscious um, choice on my part to, to look around at the world and work in a certain area of that world that I lived in. But I didn't really back then comprehend that what I was talking about was that I had a process and that I, that I could curate that process and navigate that process to different goals and different ends. And uh, I think the other, the other thing about a process that I've kind of realized is that it's one of those things like Sean McKinney's costume where people say, oh, but Sean didn't have a costume. Well, of course he had a costume. And a lot of people say, if I say to them, oh, do you have a process in your work and they say no it's just not true just by definition it's not true everybody has a process it's just if you're aware of it or not or if it's curated or not on and to what level and things like this so i think for me having a process was kind of a new (laughs) revelation in the past few years as a way to think about my work and i think about it a lot in relationship to a circus school uh, juggling education with the students because each student does have a process but what should that process give and what should it bring? And anyway, so. Yeah, there's a lot to say there. Uh, the first thing I would say is, l- like you're saying, everybody has some kind of a process. So the first distinguishment I, was, I would make is if that process, has that been articulated or not? Has, have you, as if you were an artist, have you somehow... Uh, made that process conscious you know could you talk about it could you write it down could you could you say anything about it you know that that would be because every every everybody's doing stuff you know yeah the question is like how and again i think we have these conversations here right now yeah and it sounds like we're to me yeah i always have this hesitation like oh man we're talking about these big concepts that just aren't it's all theoretical kind of intellectual like pseudo intellectual (laughs) discourse but what do we what do you really mean okay it's fun to sit in a closet and talk about process but like what are you talking about and and in the end it's like no it's like hey my process is this i go on facebook i surf around i see a juggling video i watch it it makes me happy that could be a process so it's very mundane i mean again i and i think this this analysis of things like this, I think it's very intimidating to a circus school student, especially to a juggler in school, because it sounds so foreign and it sounds so heavy and so big. It doesn't need to be bigger than that, than just writing down on a piece of paper and saying, well, wait a second, what do you do with juggling in your life? And you say, well, I wake up and sometimes I go to the gym, but not every day. And sometimes I meet my friends and they make me happy and that keeps me going inside of the juggling world. It makes me, you know, whatever, right? It doesn't need to be a big, huge, uh, monumental or revelation or whatever. It's it's very practical, actually. Yeah. I would say two things. There's another word that is similar to process that you hear kind of in the same 
used in a similar way. So you can talk about an artistic process or an artistic practice. Yeah. And uh, and here in this sense, practice. We're we're not talking about me practicing juggling as I'm gonna go and juggle my five balls to get better at it. That's not what the practice refers to. So just to separate those two, and I don't know exactly the difference between them. But if I was gonna, if you were ask me the question, what's the difference between an artistic practice and an artistic process? Okay, I would say that. An artistic practice is kind of everything that I do in my artistic life. And a process is slightly more specific in terms of the stuff that I do towards creation. Nice. That's how I would separate yeah, it. Yeah. And that that's also, if that's right or wrong, I, I can't say. But at least there would be some utility there. Yeah. You know? Because in my artistic practice, I, maybe I go and I I go into the studio every day and I do yoga for an hour. Yes, yeah. You know, for sure that helps my yeah. creation. Yeah. But it's not directed specifically towards it. You know. Mm-hmm. So th- that's how I would separate those two: artistic process and artistic practice. Mm. So back to your then questions and thinking about the artistic process specifically now when we have specified it a little bit let's say you can also talk about your practice if it comes up i mean sure sure yeah, sure yeah. but let's start start with process then yeah so i would i would um divide or i would how should i say i would categorize the status of the artistic prop process in four steps okay and i think that this is kind maybe you're gonna relate to this Let, let's see but i think this is what an artist goes through in an artistic process, I think we start. We're at in the in a subconscious process. We're mm-hmm. just doing. Mm-hmm. It's just intuitive, right? And then at some point, parts of that process starts to become. We start to become conscious about it. So that's ne- the next step. Mm-hmm. So it goes from subconscious to conscious. Mm-hmm. Not maybe not the entire thing at the same time, but at least that's the 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 change okay. from subconscious to conscious. And the next step I would say is that it goes to a reflected state where we start to go. So at first I'm just doing stuff and mm-hmm. then I go, hmm, yeah, I'm actually doing this. And then you, mm. you become conscious of those things. And then the next state that you get into, you go, I'm doing these things, but is that really the best way of doing it? Mm. Or could I do it in some other way? Maybe I should. So, okay. So third state is a reflected state. And then the fourth state, I would say, which is really difficult, is the articulated state. Mm. Where you can really specifically talk about what it is you're doing. Because I, I do think you can have a conscious process and a reflected process that is still really difficult to talk about or yeah. to write about, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would say that the fourth step there is an articulated state hmm. okay. in terms of the artistic process. And of course, this could be in terms of a part of your process and it, it's always changing. It's not like one day exactly. you reach some kind of nirvana and you're done. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that That's not what I'm proposing totally. here. But I think that could be a little bit of a way to look at the artistic process of an artist. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, I would say that for 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 the pr- process in in terms of the practice if that's more generally speaking what I'm doing like 
a summary of my artistic activities let's mm-hmm. say if, yeah. the, if that's what the practice is mm. maybe it's the same maybe it can also go through those four states i mm. don't know okay I, I haven't thought about that as much okay but yeah but when did you come across all this like when did you realize you had a process and did you ever struggle with this as a i probably <laughs> well i had a process for as long as i've been doing creative things i think okay there's been some kind of subconscious you've had an awareness process but but in terms of that becoming somehow conscious that's definitely something that came in circus school oh yeah it came into school yeah or after you know i i started because when you're in circus school then it means that you're in some kind of community with people which means that you have you have conversations right Mm, yeah and i think that is that first change between conscious and between subconscious and conscious because you're forced to talk about it yeah and when you talk about it or maybe even write about it then you you listen to your own words and you listen to your own <laughs> there's right. some kind of feedback there yeah which which drives this change between the subconscious to a conscious state yeah um in terms of like when i started like actively reflecting on that yeah yeah i can't really say specifically maybe it has to do with you know the struggles in mm. your artistic life whether they're yeah they're in terms of professionally you run into you know problems you can't get jobs or you're not hired or you weren't chosen or your show failed or whatever it is right then you start to question yourself well i mean i think i think you hear it talked about a lot again going back to the jerome tama company dude who, who didn't have inspiration that clearly he did not have a very sustainable process or whatever practice, whichever one you want to go for there. Um, and I think people talk about it a lot in terms of inspiration or creativity or also motivation, but let's, let's stick with like more inspiration mm. that they're there. It's not, it's, uh, yeah, it's not feeding them what they need. Yeah. I hear I hear more troubles in that area generally. Yeah, yeah I mean, of yeah, course totally. you, of course you hear troubles in terms of like careers and things like that. But I think that's less uh, talked about in this context. Maybe. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's yeah. also like in terms of your own self image and uh, right, just inspiration and motivation. And the the, sure. the yeah. first juggler again I ever heard talking about process, <laughs> yeah, was Michael Motion, mm. right? And he he talked about the crystal balls. And that um, people could copy the crystal balls and and that whole that whole story, but they said he, they couldn't, uh, they can't take his process. Mm. And back when I heard that, I was too young. I didn't understand what he meant. Yeah. And he always said he always told us. He always told me and you, you know, the only thing I have is my process. He always said that, and I never got it. I never really quite got it until recently, until a few years ago, what he meant. And now I really. <laughs> of course really relate to it and i really think like yeah you have this consistent process through your life that you can hold on to that can support you that can feed you on every level you know and that is maybe the most important thing it's not that you made that one trick or you made that one routine or did that one whatever um you know product from your practice but it's more the process is the important thing to curate and to take care of that that it it could take care of you I don't know. Did you ever struggle with that, or it was? 
I don't know. I mean, I, I can certainly relate. For sure, I heard the word process and I heard people talk about process before it became I became aware what that kind yeah. of meant in terms of my, what I was up to. Yeah. So I can certainly relate to that. Um, but specifically when I like... But it kind of, it was kind of crazy that Michael was, you know, saying that the pro, that his process was even more important than his output or whatever. Yeah. At, at the time, I couldn't wrap my head around that. How could that be? I but remember, you, but you, yeah. the reason I, the reason I push you on this is because you have this whole process with the ghost cubes and everything. I mean, that's super hardcore process, you know. And I think I see, I look at you in in relationship to this, to this idea of having a process, and you you are the one. I mean, you're such a good, clear example to talk about it because you've had such a distinct process with that work. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember now two observations that I made that really changed a lot and the first the first one was this observation about juggling as a field where creation takes place it was as if we all created small pieces to one big collage where the 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 pieces in that collage could be let's say tricks or techniques or or things and then the everybody kind of added to that same collage and creation was very much a curation of the collage okay i'm gonna take you know i'm gonna make a three ball routine so i do i take the three ball box from this part of the collage and then i take this trick and that trick and that trick and then i make a sequence out of those things so it's like a new collage made from the overall collage that we're all working on Mm -hmm. so that was something that i kind of conceptualized in my mind this idea about a big collage that we're all adding to and i think that also becomes it becomes like an abstract language to inside the community between the jugglers or the whatever Hmm. you know yeah between the The practitioners practitioners. because then it's like if i do something based on that collage and you do something else based on that same collage it becomes kind of like a commentary and dialogue yeah, it becomes this dialogue between the works, through the works, right? Mm, yeah. So that was something that I kind of identified. I was like, okay, yeah, that's kind of how it's going. And then the the next step in that what I, was when I realized that everybody had the same process. Mm. And this process is to you go into the studio and you think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when that struck me, I was just like, those two things I remember early on, That was, those were really stuff I, I thought a lot about. I was just like, yeah, we do the same thing and we add to this same kind of pile that we're also, it's also the source of where we extract things <laughs> for our creations. <laughs> and that was something that I started to question. Like, what if I changed, I mean, I want to, like we were talking earlier, I want to create new things with a value so how do I do that? Well, maybe one method of accomplishing that would be to change the process, to not to have a different process yeah. than everybody else. Maybe that could be a step in that direction. Maybe it would be to identify this collage and then try to conceptualize what would be outside of the collage. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you want to speak really? Yeah. I mean, you can just say very, very uh, clearly 
your idea around the, the start of the ghost cube in terms of the value of the object. I think that's a great example of what you're talking about. I mean, we're going to skip some context there, but it's a, it's a nice... Uh... Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's very straightforward, that development, because... And it also, it kind of brings up again this this going in between the states of conscious and subconscious, etc. Because what started that for me was, it was that, that, that uh, wish to create new juggling, or new juggling with the value, let's say. And again, I wrote something down here as a commentary or something you were talking about earlier. Why do we want to do that? Exactly. And that is a great question. And what I what came to my mind when you said that is I think that as a common thing in artists is that we wish to distinguish ourselves through our artistic creation. Mm. Yeah. And the way to do that, of course, is you, then you have to create something new if you want to distinguish yourself. Yeah. So I think that's at least one way of answering that question. Like, why, why create something new? Well, you want to distinguish yourself through your artistic creation. But, okay, so back to my process there. So I wanted to do that, let's say. And uh, how, however conscious or subconscious that was. But I think now looking back at it, at least in retrospective, that's what I was up to. So I really liked this trick that was called the head roll. When you roll a ball from temple to temple across your forehead back and forth. And I really liked that trick. And I had not invented it. Uh, I could do it very well. And I also knew a few variations of it, like two or three variations where you mixed rolling and placing balls on on the head uh, so i thought then i had this idea that okay if i learn every variation of the head roll that is out there that i can observe out in the world that i have not created for sure then in that process i'm gonna stumble on something that hasn't been done mm. that was just like a basic premise that i decided to try mm. And fair enough, like, it worked very well. I did that. I learned all the things that was out there. It was maybe five or six tricks. I think there's even a video online. I put, put them all out there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's called Head Roll Research. All right. We can see if we can... Yeah. It, it, it's online. Okay. Yeah. So I, I put all the, all the variations that existed uh, when I was coming on to the scene, let's say. Yeah. And, and I learned those, and soon enough, like, I started to discover uh, new variations. And that just escalated and escalated and escalated. And, like, some year or years later, I had, you know, hundreds of variations on that technique, that embryo that I had not created. Mm -hmm. But it was still, like, I had my new additions. So when I had done that and I kind of reflected on it, I was thinking, okay, this was kind of cool. What if I had also created that embryo, that basic technique, if you will, in terms of now I'm using that word as a singular concept of juggling, rolling a ball from temple to temple, that's the singular concept. And I'm referring to that as a technique. Yeah. So what if I came up with a singular concept, a technique like that, but I invented it? Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, maybe I could do something with clubs. Mm -hmm. 
And that's when I came up with, and then that was a long process in itself. That is kind of different. It's, it's, it seems to me it's, it's really different to me to create something in juggling that's like a new embryo like that than to kind of expand creatively on an existing, existing embryo. Those seem like different processes to me that mm-hmm. would be interesting to talk about at some point. But, but let's yeah. carry on with, with this um, part of the story. So I was like, so I was like okay, I'll, let's try this with clubs. So I think I spent three or four months, something like that, just investigating what can you do with a club to create a singular concept that hasn't been done that then can be created and elaborated on in a mm-hmm. similar way as I've done with the head rolls. And that's when I came up with that chin swing thing from shoulder to cho- shoulder. Yeah, It's difficult to explain exactly in words what that technique looks like, but if I'm going to attempt... So you have a club and you have a knob in one end and you have the body in the other hand end. So if you place the knob of the club underneath your chin and then you, you, you angle the club backwards horizontally in a diagonal so that the body rests on your shoulder, that would be the first position. And if you then kind of flick slightly with your shoulder at the same time as you bend your head forward so that you pinch the knob of the club with your chin and the top of your chest, the club is then going to be released from the shoulder and swing down. And if the timing is right, you can practice so that this swing uh, flows all the way up so that the club can end up on the other shoulder in a mirrored position as you started in. Hang on, this is so painful. Can't didn't we say we're using Steve Stevenson's definition of the lexicon? <laughs> Can't we just say we go from position A to position B according to Steve Stevenson? There you go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the embryo. And then I just explored that in the same way or a similar way as I had explored the head rolls and and in a in a very similar uh, manner, I explored just uh, the similar paths, and I had just as many findings, if maybe even more findings. Yeah. Using this technique, so so that was like okay, I had those two experiences, and then I did kind of like a proof of concept since juggling is these three standardized objects, balls, clubs, and rings. So I was like, well, I have to apply this on rings too. Yeah. So I did an excursion in in the world of rings too it was not as elaborate as the balls and the clubs but i did do it and i invented a technique there that i called ring hits yeah where you have a ring on your head and you hit it with another ring and yeah so there's some technique there too yeah so when when that was done i was like okay i've explored technique here conceptually thinking what would be uh another a step up from this wait a second another though. approach wait a second though what where did the cigar boxes fit in was it outside of this kind of line of investigations <clears throat> yeah the cigar boxes was done kind of parallel to this because the cigar boxes did not really come from uh, embryo of a technique like a singular concept the cigar box um research that I did that came from more of a 
visual idea about cigar boxes that cigar bo boxes is two dimensional. It's very like you, you mean know, traditionally. Traditionally, it's very yeah. two dimensional. Like you, you have them in a line, and you kind of treat them mm. as in uh, as a line, and you come back to this line. And I thought that right. okay, what if I did you know three three cigar boxes, um, three dimensionally. That was like the basic idea. Okay. And also, what if I don't want to do this this home position as mm -hmm. the cigar box people call it where you hold a cigar box in each hand and you pinch the third one in between them yeah can i get away from that somehow and not not base my my uh, cigar box uh, juggling on coming back and forth between mm. that position right so then i came and and that was not a new technique that was a technique that existed already in club juggling and it originally comes from devil stick the trap uh, wrist trap wrist trap and i'm still confused if it's wrist wrap or wrist trap okay yeah <laughs> no, I, I mean I mean, I think it's a trap, but yeah. I mean, there is a wrist wrap with clubs, but yeah. yeah, we don't know. Yeah, who knows? Thanks, juggling language. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so it was. So I just kind of translated that technique to cigar boxes, which I don't think it's a very, it's a very uh, crazy maneuver to do. That's right, right, right. very standard juggling yeah. uh, maneuvering. So, so I just took the wrist trap, and it just happened that the wrist trap solved a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, things no it's great you said 2d to 3d that's a really nice yeah, 2D journey to 3d yeah. ignore the home position yeah. and also i wanted to explore cigar boxes more like visually in terms of the shapes that you can yeah. build with the boxes so it was more of a it was a little bit different it was something that happened parallel okay uh, around the same time as these three what happened next though so head rolls went to chin swings went to ring head hits. hits and then i thought okay can I can can I you know conceptually get one more step here? What would that be? I've already done technique here. Mm. What if it was the the what what if the exploration was of the object and not the technique that is executed with the object? Okay. And what's really seminal too in that whole thinking was our trip to Iceland. Because mm. that happened around that time. Yeah. Or one of our trips to Iceland. Was that like 2008 say. or something? Uh, I think 11 even. It's oh, later. okay. Yeah, it's oh, later. Okay, okay. 2011. Oh, uh, in 2009. Uh, uh, we 2010. went. 2010. We, we, so my trips, I've been to Iceland three times. I know you've been there. I just threw, I just threw the videos on YouTube. 2010. No, I think I went 08, 09, and 11. No, me and Wes was 11. Okay. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah, no, I just threw them on YouTube. One of the... One of the uh, 10. 10 was, was you. Was me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. One of the Iceland tours. Yeah. We went and visited... And who took... Was it... Who knew this guy? How did we end up there? Well, I guess Solveig. Solveig, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And what's her last name? Thorbergsen. Solveig Thorbergsen. Right? Yeah. Did I mess that up? Is that right? We, you keep talking. It's an Icelandic name. There's no chance in hell that you're not going to mess oh, it up. Thorberg's son. Who, who said that? Did you Sorry, say that? Daughter. daughter. <laughs> oh, gosh. We've been uh, talking too long here. Solveig Thorberg's daughter. So sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. She 
I'm glad we both could... Uh... Either knew or knew of. I think she knew him a little bit. A puppeteer. Well, yeah, I mean, he was kind of famous yeah. Uh, around, yeah. yeah. Called Bernd Ogrodnik, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were going to go visit. He had a little theater and he had a... Museum. He had, he had a museum. And a workshop. And a workshop. And it was on a, in one part of Iceland. So we went there. And this was around that time when I was exploring these techniques and had these thoughts... You know, both in terms of doing, but also conceptually. And this, I don't know, ex I don't remember the exact succession. Uh, of course, this is somewhat of a, like, after construction. So I don't yeah, know exactly right. what happened first or what I was aware of or what I was not aware of, what happened subconsciously or... But at least looking back at it, it's very clear that this was a very contributing experience to this thinking. yeah. yeah. And that was that we, so he took us through his uh, facilities and it was like you were saying, it was an exhibition, it was his workshop and also his theater. Yeah. And I saw him there as a puppeteer who is also a manipulator of objects, yeah. like, just like us. Yeah. And it was just seamless, this transition between mm. the making of the puppet, because he made all his puppets yeah. himself. Himself, yeah. And had a very elaborate... <laughs> Uh, long practice and experience mm -hmm. and he had a little library I mean he had the whole thing yeah yeah. and I was just there you know somewhere around there I was just in shock because yeah. I just saw half my process non-existent yeah he had complete control from beginning to end yeah over everything yeah yeah, yeah. he and I just mapped, and that, that's a very simple exercise. I just mapped my process onto his. I was also a manipulator of objects. Yeah, yeah. I also explored technique. I also yeah. created new things. I mean, there were so many similarities. Because he had also made like a new leg joint, remember? Right, right, Like he, right. he was making technical innovations. He wasn't just like, oh, I'm creating a puppet that's super high quality. Right. Or marionettes, you know? Yeah, there was also he, the function of the puppet. Yeah, he made some he new was, leg joint that made a new walking style possible. And There you go. It was really, yeah, there was a lot of similar, similarities. Yeah. So that happened, and then I was thinking, okay, what if the juggler had this process? Mm -hmm. That the juggler was also the creator of the object that he manipulated. Right. And that was, some, I don't know specifically when I articulated that conceptualization of the process, but it definitely came from those two things, exploring those three techniques and that trip specifically. Right, great. That's the, the two things that I think contributed the most to that conceptualization of a new practice for the juggler. Right. Well, you almost talked about it earlier when you, you got into this idea that we're all working on the same collage, like jugglers are all working on the same collage. You almost got all the way there. But now with the puppeteer story, you have to we have to do it. So what you're talking about is you saw this guy who was constructing his own objects. And it's the thing you've told me before. I don't know if it was before or after this uh, ghost cube work, but um, before you had started it, but you always told me that we're, what, we're, what we're doing right now is we're in a small, narrow tunnel of innovation. And what that means is the game is we all have the same tools that we're using, but the game is to do something different with the same object, right? So 
you just go on the internet and you click juggling rings and you buy them and it's the same rings I have. It's the same club that you have. And then me and you have the same set of tools, essentially. And the game is then to to, to make uh, different things than each other, right? From yeah. each other. Yeah. Whereas, um, I guess, uh, uh, what, what were you saying? A hundred years ago, it was different. Maybe the process was a bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But That's you, you kind of first the come third, up with the the third part I of see. of this process is definitely the historical uh, the historical aspect of of what I was doing because I was interested in juggling history and we've already talked a lot about our visits to Karlheinz Seaton in right. Berlin and how that whole thing unfolded. So, so that was definitely a huge part of it too. That. Uh, that I looked at these old jugglers that couldn't go to the juggling store and buy props. Right. So they either, they had to make their own pro props uh, or they had to, you know, go to an artisan and give them instructions and how to make it. Or they had to, or they took everyday objects and they modified them to, to be accustomed to whatever they wanted to do with them as, as juggling. But wasn't juggling. one of the qualities of that then, of that situation would be that you would kind of also sometimes first think of the trick and then make the prop to fit that trick, which is the exact opposite of going on the internet now and buying a juggling ball, having it delivered to your house, and then you have to think of the trick. Now, oh, and I got the ball. What can I do with it? It's yeah, like an opposite situation. Yeah, that that was that was that was the other, and I don't know exactly when that reflection came, where I realized that I had a new, there was a new uh, succession mm -hmm. in in the steps of the of the creation there. That before the juggler who who is using a standardized uh, object, they have to apply whatever idea they have on to that object. Right. Whereas the, the juggler that creates his own his or her own object, they can have the idea first, and then the object can be created based on that artistic idea. Yeah. So that was that was also like a, I realized that that was a, a new a new approach to that creative process of well, creating new juggling. I always think of it like this, and it's not a it's not the perfect analogy or whatever. But I think about it as a painter, you know, imagine telling a painter, hey, you have one size paintbrush. Right. Or one color you in. Well, that's what I was going to get to. Yeah. But like even the size of the paintbrush, you go, well, I want to paint something that's very small and detailed. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, you just have this size. It's the one standard size. Yeah. You can go on the internet and there's a list of, of paintbrushes you can buy. And it's that size because I mean, that's what juggling clubs are, for example. They're all basically the same size, really. I mean, really, they're basically the same size, same for rings and whatever else. It's all standardized. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, paintbrushes are too, but you have such a wider breadth of this, uh, yeah, availability of these yeah. materials. But yeah, yeah, the, then the, let's get to color. Mm. And you go, okay, well, let's look at the juggling, the colors in juggling. Well, there's basically one color of blue. More or less, you don't yeah. have like ten different shades of blue. Yeah. Well, what if you were a painter and you went to the paint store? Oh, I'm gonna make a painting today. I better buy some blue. I'm gonna paint the ocean and the sky or whatever. Well, here's one color of blue. That's insane, right? That's an insane story. You would never, as a as a painter in today's world, you would not be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Let's do that. Well, I mean, the the aspect 
just the nature of paint is that you can mix it. That's so what I'm saying. It's not a perfect analogy. Let's we ignore that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just yeah. well, it, you don't have to ignore it. You can say there's a there's a structure in yeah. the practice or process or whatever yeah. of painting, which allows for wider expression of or wider variations of colors. We don't have that in juggling. We could, yeah. if we. I mean, that's a whole other conversation about how that could happen. One of the parts of that conversation is that you first have to desire that to exist. And that desire just hasn't ever been there yet. Right. Yeah. Um, that's just one thing I've, I've noticed. But yeah. anyway, but I, I do think a lot about this, that you're in control of the tools that you have, especially if you're talking about juggling as, a, as an art form and expression. Yeah. And then going back to that conversation I had with the journalist from London, where I say the object is the most important thing, you know, object catalog, all these realizations. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, it's pretty insane that as an artist, I allow my objects to be determined by someone else into mm -hmm. such a limited scope of availability of variations. It's pretty wild. So then the, the, what you were just saying about you, you now you're taking control of, the, of your process here. Right. Yeah. The, the first kind of idea that I articulated was this kind of return to the, you know, the days of Cinque Valle or Salerno 1900, around 1900, where it's like the juggler is also the creator of the object mm. but then uh, at that time the difference to now is that they used everyday things and they maybe modified them a little bit or made them specially but to uh, resemble something that already existed and i was thinking about this with uh, with the contemporary mind or with my modern mind i should say and also i, I with the I also looked at sculpture, for an example, where you can you can make whatever form you want, whatever object you want. So I, f I was imagining juggling. Then what if we map that onto juggling, that not only am I the creator of the object that I'm going to use, I could create whatever object I want, existent or none, you know, or not. Right. It yeah. could be an abstract form. Yeah. And that and then you, you you're in a whole new landscape. Hmm. When you when you think about juggling from that perspective, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's that's. Uh, I think that is a summary of of that. Well, since we're already process. there, let's let's go ahead and. I think it's very it's very much follows on from what you just said. This idea of the fourth shape and all that you wanted mm -hmm. to maybe bring that up a little bit. So, do you want to dive into that now? Yeah. So okay. So that is probably also something that had an effect on this process i don't know to what extent but it was still something that we were doing yeah very actively for a number of years and i think it comes i mean at some point this idea was you know i don't know how should i say not it's certainly not you or me who who who's first said that both clubs and rings are like the main props of the juggler that's right that's just an observation I think anybody can can make. Yeah. But we had also done that observation, obviously. Yeah. That those are the three main props, main objects in juggling. There's other things like shaker cups or devil sticks, but they're those are auxiliary props. There you go, and they don't. <laughs> they're not as utilized or as common as the three main ones. Yeah. Somehow. So as we, valid or as respected as valid, either. Right, right, right. Yeah. There's some kind of side note somehow. So at some point we 
started talking about this concept of, of what if there was a fourth shape. Well, I think it was the standard a, set. Well, I think I think what really started that was the first time where we sat down and said out loud and questioned out loud, why is it balls, rings, and clubs? Mm. How did that come to be? Yeah. And it was the first kind of our attempt to relate to that question to say, well, wait a second, wouldn't it be fun that culturally there could be a fourth standardized prop shape because that then if that kind of uh if that could be established then we would have a little bit more of a clue maybe about how balls rings and clubs became the three the first three standard prop shapes it was a little bit of a you know it wasn't just like oh let's make the fourth shape it was more of a it was more of that questioning of the first three that was really maybe the core of the the idea and then it was like well if we can make a fourth one uh if we could make, I mean, yeah. again, if there could be, <laughs> yeah. if it could be established, if somebody or somehow that happened, that would be a, a fascinating thing to follow. Yeah. And we would be wiser and we would understand more, not about this fourth shape, which is just a fictional, you know, instigation of an idea or whatever, but more about reflecting back on the first three shapes. That's how, that's how that kind of started, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to think about also that you could then expand the standard <laughs> tools of an artistic field by 25 percent just <laughs> by an idea yeah that's kind of wild right um and i also think that when you're asking those questions you're also getting really into like the nature of the objects that we use because there has been, it has been said, like, you know, a, a mm -hmm. ball is like this one-dimensional thing. It's a point. It's a point. And then you have a stick that's this a line. line. Yeah. And then you know, the ring then would be... Yeah. yeah, it doesn't map perfectly yeah, onto yeah, yeah, a three-dimensional yeah. space. Sure, but, sure. but there is something there. And maybe a fourth shape could then be a complement in that spatial relationship between objects and, and space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that's interesting to think about, but um, yeah, there was we were. I think I had done. I had drawn out those little baggies with the club. With the club accessories. The club, the club accessories. Hooks. Yeah, the, the ring rings. ring hook and the club hook and some other stuff. I think that was the first thing I did. Yeah. And then we had the we started talking about this fourth shape. Yeah. Uh, we're probably going to screw up the chronology, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> but if I'm just going to reflect back on it, what's the next thing that happened? I remember the Babash trip as an early thing we did, but there was stuff before then. Like I had that compendium and... <laughs> well, I don't think any of this matters really. I mean, unless you want to talk about the Babash trip or something that's funny, but I... We don't need to relive this now, I think. Okay. <laughs> no, but I like this yeah. idea of the, of the, I mean, the fourth shape comes on from what you were just saying about taking control about your... Yeah, maybe it's more in interesting to think about conceptually than what we actually did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, maybe, the, maybe the, the, more, the more fun thing to think about in terms of the whole Renegade Design Lab was, again, because we, we've been talking so much here about the culture and the community and how ideas exist and how a definition it's not a personal 
yeah. definition. It exists in a collective mind. Yeah. And then just culturally how Renegade Design Lab, again, back when Tom just had that, the, the Iman had Tom make that triangle and that was kind of wacky and crazy and not cool and not valid and stupid and weird and whatever. Like Site Swap, when Site Swap came out. And then, you know, these days I don't, I don't think that the triangle causes that much angst in anybody. No. I don't think people really care much. Like Site Swap. Oh, it's a thing. It's cool. Some people do it. There's, there's some people who juggle the triangles. They're happy. Everybody's happy. It's no problem. But it's also related to this idea about breaking down these barriers and stereotypes of like the, the, that the flow community, the flow arts really brings to juggling too. Because there is now this other community to reflect back upon. Like you say, maybe all these unconscious things are becoming slightly more conscious that you have the juggling community and the flow arts community, that there is a dialogue there and you start to realize more like, oh, maybe, you know, doing these certain techniques in a certain way, we can expand that uh, to be equally valid or meaningful or whatever. And so with Renegade Design Lab, it was, it always felt a little bit like we were, we, we were so enthusiastic about everything <laughs> and we were met generally with indifference and sometimes with uh, negative <laughs> feedback. I mean, but also to be fair, I mean, lots of people were super cool about it too. And it's human nature to kind of focus on the, maybe the, the failures sometimes instead of successes. I don't know. But what I mean is it did seem like more of a struggle back when we did it. And nowadays, I mean, you're always the one who's a bit more positive about it. And you're like, yeah, but maybe some of those things from Renegade Design Lab, it did break through a little bit or bring some sort of extra dimension to the culture that it's more widely accepted. Some of these ideas that you could make your own shape or have your own different shape prop or that that's okay to do. Um, I don't know. Are you always, what do you say? You don't know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say what kind of impact that had. I mean, just to give a brief, I, I can give a brief summary about what the, that project was. Yeah. Uh, because maybe it gives some kind of, idea for future conversations that we want to have but right i had those ideas of the little baggie with three little hooks that you could attach to your clubs and give you some new possibilities grappling mechanism yeah it's just like a little fun thing you could do at the festival and then when we started talking about this fourth shape i made i think 10 i just drew out 10 new shapes yeah that as just potentially this could be it kind of thing. Yeah. They were, it was not something I worked very hard on. Or no, it was like, let's like, take the, let's take some of the most obvious first ideas. And there you go. I mean, but like, in a, in, yeah. Yeah. A ring, but that's shaped like a teardrop and exactly, like a yeah. ring that's intersected by another ring, Th things like that. Yeah. So it was a con compendium like that. Uh, and you also had, you made one of them, the eight ring. Yeah. Which, just funnily enough is the one that has really i mean i made that when i was like 11 years old right 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 <laughs> so so the eight ring yeah two rings taped together so it becomes yeah. an eight so that was one of the objects in that little compendium and then we took that compendium and we flew out to a european uh prop manufacturer who who, who looked through the compendium and we thought he was well you can say who it is <laughs> whatever it was very enthusiastic, but then... Dan Daniel. Daniel, uh, Mr. Babash. Schumacher. Schumacher. Right. So, but then that collaboration ended there and 
then we never heard from him again <laughs> after yeah after our trip there to geneva and then uh, sometime la- later tom renegade of renegade juggling in california heard about this and he was excited about it and he said oh, that yeah. he could make a few of the shapes yeah we were done we were totally done and then yeah. tom was like hey i want to make some new stuff and i said well coincidentally we had some ideas Maybe right. it's all Tom. It's all up to Tom, you know? True, true. Respect yeah, that's him. true. We had maybe given up. Oh, yeah. We filed those papers. Yeah. They were in the file. Right. So then Tom <laughs> made a few, and then we got invited to the IGA in 2009. Yeah. And then we decided to incorporate some of those new shapes in the performance that we were doing as a collaboration with J- with uh, Patrick Elnert and Wes Peden. Yeah, but, there was a, but the whole discussion... It, I mean, it was all really Luke, too, from the beginning in the core team here. Because it was, we realized at least that it wasn't about just making a new shape. It wasn't just about having a new shaped object. It was about also the culture surrounding that object. Mm. And we knew that we would we were going to be met with some resistance here and there. And how do shapes spread? I mean, it goes back to that really, that, that is that core idea of the fourth shape. Like, how does something like that come to exist? Yeah. And there is the community involved there. And so... I remember, too, that Luke really struggled with this idea of um, how were we going to position the, in one way, the intellectual property rights or whatever, the copyright, or I don't know what the word is. Um, But it was like he wanted to do a Creative Commons open source kind of thing, um, which was kind of an emerging field back then, I guess. I I think so, at least in our world (laughs) and and, uh, and, and on our radar. And um, because the idea going back to the culture of juggling was that if you did something kind of odd or outside of the normal parameters of this collage Mm. or of this tool set that is that had become standardized and commercialized you kind of owned that thing Mm. and we really wanted to have everybody juggle a triangle who wanted to and not be like ostracized by the community to being like oh you juggling a triangle that's what luke did or whatever right that you had to find a way to talk about these discussions as a group collectively. And I think, again, for whatever reason, uh, the lack of a central <laughs> place to have a discussion really hurt to not be able to have... Because I don't think this, these discussions really were were done, uh, at least to the, to the degree that they needed to be done, um, or needed to be, or could, could have been, at least. But this idea, then, of... Um, that there was a culture surrounding the object and not just the object. So then we had this, we had all these fun conversations about what could juggling culture be? I mean, I think this is important to share and talk about. I love these ideas where what could juggling actually be? Where could it go? How could it grow? Um, and in what areas and by what criteria? So for example, we had this idea of team RDL, Renegade Design Lab. We were going to be the team and we were going to be like the demo team mm. to go out and hype it. Like you got the skateboarding team or the, Duncan yo-yo team or whatever that's sponsored and you go around and doing demos of these new things to kind of spread it around the culture or to expose new members of the community to the so we could infect them with our with our toys or what our shapes or whatever um and that's where that team rdl really came from is that we wanted to create not just a new shape but we also wanted to establish a way it could exist inside the community and have a connection to what everybody was doing and what Again, going back to this idea of the three standardized shapes, I mean, it's it's not in a vacuum. Yeah. So we had this kind of uh, task force <laughs> put together, and we did the JJF and EJC and IJA with the with the new shapes. That's true. Yeah. And 
maybe the last thing, unless you think of anything else for Renegade Design Lab, but one thing I find very important to bring up is that through the process of working with Tom and working with this idea of new shapes and understanding that, yeah, this puppeteer in Iceland, well, he worked with wood. Well, it's possible in a very casual way to work with wood, which you ended up doing with Ghost Cubes. You learned how to work with wood. That was a possible thing for you to do within your ability, within your resources. Whereas now we're working with Tom Renegade on RDL and well, he knows how to work with plastic, but that's a whole other level of infrastructure to work with plastic and how to manipulate and create plastic, right? But so one thing that I kind of realized from Renegade Design Lab era of working with different shapes and different props and making new and making necessary things was that we came up with mostly what I would call a destructive creation. It was kind of this little term I use for myself to organize the information in my head, which means that it's very easy to cut the mm. things that already exist, but it's very hard to uh, join or to formulate new shapes in their entirety. Mm. Out of, right? It, like it's very easy to be destructive in terms. Yeah, you just cut and rearrange. You cut and re you you take the ring, you cut it in half, and you glue it to another one. Yeah. And there's your new creation. You're starting with a source material that's already established. Mm. And to make a new source material, that's super difficult. But that's when I came up with this idea of the holy club to cut a hole in the club. It was really this moment of going, oh, wait a second, we're doing destructive creation. So how can I destroy the existing shapes to come up with a new shape? Oh, if I cut a hole in the club, I could maybe slot another club through that hole. And I still think that's the, in many ways, because we, we are stuck with this idea of, of plastic as our main material for the moment um, and the way you work with plastics right now in the world. I think destructive creation really is one of the most straightforward options right now, um, unless you want to become a plastics manufacturer, which I, which I don't, and I really don't want to take the time right now to jump into the whole culture of juggling prop manufacturing in the world, other than, other than to say, um, just to sum it up and say that, you know, a few years ago, I started screaming about different colors of rings or whatever, different colors of props. And I started in, in RDL, we were screaming about different shapes and we met other prop manufacturers too. It wasn't just Tom Kidwell and Renegade and Mr. Babash. And we, I've talked to, we, we talked to Rio Yabe and we talked to Henry's and all these things yeah. about shapes and colors and, and making um, some of these destructive creations into a holistic creation, like getting these things actually molded rather than cutting things apart and gluing them together. And then from all this kind of, uh, yeah, like, like like these rants or this verbal discourses or whatever um, of trying to throw things out into the community to see what would stick and what might catch on potentially. Um, a lot of the feedback, immediate feedback was like, well, what's so hard? Just go paint a ring. Like you want it to be a different color, just go paint it. Yeah. But then, so again, it's the whole system, the whole culture is a bit it's a bit unconscious and unaware of what we're actually doing and how things actually work and how things are actually created. And it was another revelation to me, another uncovering of the layers of this culture that I grew up with and that I love, that I'm passionate about, that I never really, that never really came to the surface so clearly before. But it's things like, sure, I could go spray paint a ring a different color, and I did. But the thing is, it was a slightly different texture <laughs> than I had used for the past 35 years of my life and that turned out to actually matter. It turned out to be a big deal to my technique. 
I never thought about that before. Oh, textures, something I should really care about. We never talked about texture in a real way, in a real considered way. Now I think about it all the time, especially with Ivar with his metal and glass and wood. I mean, texture does mean something in terms of technique. It just hasn't meant so much maybe recently because we're all working on the same collage. We all have the same tools. So how important is texture? Well, if we spray paint a ring, it turns out that for me, the types of, te types of techniques I was doing these multiplexes, the rings would stick together or they wouldn't split correctly or all these little stupid things I never thought about before and had to deal with. Plus, of course, you drop and the paint chips and this and that. And I don't even know how to spray paint plastic, you know, and to make it to make it uh, robust and not chip off. Is that part of my job as a juggler? Well, I can say that in my era of growing up as a juggler, it was never part of the job description. Maybe it should be. Maybe it should have been. Maybe juggling should take a page from the book of puppetry and be like, hey, if you guys are going to juggle plastic props, you need to learn how to work with plastic. That could include how to paint plastic. I mean, one of the best times to, examples of this too is is hanging out with Michael Motion backstage in Paris. Um, and Denis Palmier was there and he had his, what was it called? Turn them on, mm -hmm. right? And then he tapes them, I think. He puts tape yeah. around them. And Michael says, Michael says to Denis, but don't you know how to paint PVC? And man, I mean, that blew my mind that Michael would... What? Michael knows how to paint PVC? That's nothing to do with juggling. Oh, wait a second. Maybe it has everything to do with juggling, right? That blew my mind. It still blows my mind, man. I don't mm -hmm. know how to paint PVC. Michael does. Or at least, let's say Michael doesn't know how. At least he, he understands it might be important. Yeah. So that kind of blew my mind. So what I mean is this idea with RDL that we struggled through this process and we had the success and failures that we had, it really uncovered another layer of this juggling culture that previously was hidden to me. And this idea about, well, just paint a ring or just go, why not just go have Henry's make you a different colored Delphin club? Well, what's the problem, man? Shut up. And then you start to uncover the economics of the manufacturing process of juggling props and going back to understanding really how the juggling community works, talking about having one of the juggling prop manufacturers in America retire and you get a 25% less <laughs> prop manufacturers in the country. Kind of crazy, right? Yeah. And so when you start to uncover these ideas about how economics and politics and just the culture works in juggling prop manufacturing, it's not obvious. It's not straightforward. It's not just these intuitive guesses that it would be so easy just to go pour some different colored plastic in the mold. It turns out to not be the case. And it, it turned into being things about like, well, you can't even leverage money to solve these problems. You can't literally just get an unlimited amount of money and solve these problems because it was the people who have this specialized knowledge that you need to interact with. They're not motivated purely by money. There's something else going on there. Oh, yeah. Okay, Henry's, we can just go pay them to make another club and another color, blah, blah, blah. No, you can't because their business is of a certain size. It's of a certain, there's a reason for these things that exist how they exist. They have a certain, you know, whatever, monthly sales and they have a certain number of employees. They're not in it. They're, it's Juggling is not, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's not a fictional kind of thing that you're just going to grow like through a capitalist system and just grow for infinite expansion or infinite growth, right? It's a small culture. It's a small subculture. It's a small genre. That's a small ecosystem that exists for a reason how it is. 
But those reasons were really unclear to me when we started Renegade Design Lab. And I guess the thing I just want to sum up and say then that from Renegade Design Lab, what I got was a better understanding of the mechanics of how I go on a website and I order something and it comes to my door and why the rings are that size and why they are that color and why we all have those same tools and how that whole thing evolved. And I think that it's the same thing as the definition. Maybe the situation we're in right now with how language is used as the definition of juggling, maybe it's not the ideal situation, but the first step in taking the, the evolution of that is to understand where we are. And I feel the same way with Renegade Design Lab. So we can talk about being empowered. We can talk about having the desire to have a new shape or a new color or a new set of tools or a new process or a new practice. But the first step in actually making those, manifesting those realities is just to uncover what are, is already there. And it's to go to talk to these people who already exist. And, it's, and there's, there's people behind these websites and behind these companies and they're human beings and, and you know, all, all these. And, and juggling is such a small culture that those quirks and personalities have a big ripple effect that, to, that create the reality that we're in, right? It's not just the... It's not. Uh, it's not something that you. It's not something that's un, It's not something that's mysterious or can, it can't be known. Right. It's like the recent history of juggling. The guy who possibly started juggling rings for the first time is still alive. These are not unknowable things. And to me, definitely, fifteen years ago, or even when we started Renegade Design Lab, these were unknowable, mis- unsolvable mysteries. Yeah. Completely impossible to know who would ever have done any of these things. And you can know them by having these conversations. And I think that was the thing that I took away from the Renegade Design Lab. Look, 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 we're going we gonna to sum this up here because we got more to talk about. But just to wrap this around to, to juggling schools, uh, or circus schools, that's what we were talking about, man. Okay. And so, so this idea of having Renegade Design Lab to uncover all these layers of the culture mm-hmm. and to start to have an awareness of how things are connected behind the scenes and what thread goes where and who knows what and whatever. And what's the motivation here and what's the desire there? What's the politics over here? Um, and not, and that's, that's, that's internally to the juggling world, but man, the juggling world has to interact with the outside world too, in terms of manufacturing, especially and think, you know, accessibility of resources and parts and small batches and high margins and whatever <laughs> economics, right? That's another whole part of it too. So, so thinking about then um, a circus school, and I was asking you, remember, a long time ago about a process. So trying to wrap this all up together, um, I came to the conclusion that maybe what you should be teaching or what you are actually working on in a juggling school or a juggling education inside of an institution or otherwise is one of the qualities is consciousness, which we brought that up a few episodes ago, that we're trying to take these choices that we're making and making those choices on purpose, or at least having an awareness that you're making a choice and not being blindsided or, or even just lazy <laughs> and ending up with like, well, why did you do that? Well, oh, I don't know. I didn't think about it. Oh, well, your choices, your your actions, you know, your, your, yeah, your choices influence the outcome, you know, they have consequences. And so, Hey, if you're going to go to the trouble of going to circus school for juggling, maybe you could just start to understand what your choices are and start to make, I don't, I dare I say better choices 
or at least make choices on purpose mm -hmm. rather than having them handed to you from a website where you order a club and it comes in, it's a certain color or a certain size, right? Um, there was a second um, quality I identified in terms of a, a juggling education of why, sh why should a juggling education exist if it's beyond, again, if we've motivated this idea about technique not being the most valid uh, occasion to have a juggling education, maybe especially inside of a university institution. I don't technique know. Technique as in I'm learning a skill here. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And uh, that would be this idea of efficiency. I came up with that idea. I said, wouldn't it be cool is if when you went to the juggling program previously at the school formerly known as DOC, wouldn't it be cool if you were better than before you went to that school? And in what way could you be better? I thought, well, you could be more efficient. Efficiency seems to be a thing that's that's I strive for in my life in certain areas. I didn't know what that meant, though. What does it mean to be more efficient inside of a juggling practice or process or education? But it was just that initial thought of like, what qualities could we cult cultivate here in terms of justifying a juggling education? I thought, well, maybe the juggler could be more efficient. <laughs> like it was kind of a funny idea, but it turns out to be that was that's maybe one of the main. I have three main ideas of of what, what how I motivate my work in a juggling school now. Efficiency is maybe number two, and it's this idea that with creativity, it goes back to the idea of, of creativity being something you can practice and approach like a skill. And that is efficiency in a process is I identified a large area of friction inside of my practice, which is that moment in the studio where you go into the studio and you make something and then you, and then you say, is this any good? And you have doubt and you go, Oh, I don't know if it's, is it good enough? Is it cool enough? Is it new enough? Is it necessary enough? Is it technical? Is it skillful enough? Or is it hard enough? Is it crazy enough? Is it visual enough? Or whatever? There's a doubt in, you, in, in these moments of creation where you're, you're, you're having this dialogue with yourself. Of, okay, I made something. Now how do I evaluate what I made? And those moments of evaluation can just be, they can really kill the life or the, the, the energy of a process of, of a creation. Because you're just filled with doubt, so you just you're like a deer in headlights. You're just frozen there, in the moment, and you're waiting for that inspiration, lightning to strike you in the head to tell you one way or the other: is what you made good enough, or should you make it again, or is it? How does it? How does it work? And again, I think this moment of evaluation, it doesn't have to be a mystery; it can be practiced and called cultivated as any of the other qualities we've talked about. And it's a pretty straightforward process. So you go. You make something and you just say to yourself, do I like it? Yes or no? And you answer in the moment. And by the way, that answer can change tomorrow. No problem. No pressure. But in the moment you say, do I like this? Yes or no? If you like it, you say yes and you move on. If you don't like it, you say no. And then you go, why don't I like it? And this is difficult. You have to, you have to practice how to do this. But then you need to say something, one or two words that are concrete about what you're doing that you don't like. It's not enough to say... Well, I don't like it because it's not cool. Not cool is not a concrete quality that you can discuss right now. You can't act on that. But you can say, well, I don't like it because uh, it doesn't move enough. Ah, oh, there's a change you can make, active change. You can try it again with more movement. Mm. And it's, it's maybe a very laborious process. 
it maybe takes a lot of energy. It's a lot of iterations. But the, the quality that it gives is that you always move forward. Even if you get negative results, you learn from those negative results. It's not just shots in the dark. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to try this and hope it works. And for 60 years it works and then the next year it doesn't work or whatever. And so you have this idea of efficiency where you can have a, a process where you you hone down your, yeah, you refine this process of evaluation continually. And then you do that in, inside of a circus school. And hopefully by the time you leave circus school for juggling, one quality you might possess that you didn't have when you came in was the ability to make decisions in a, in a, in a fast way. And again, and also in this in this way that you're not evaluating the work in the moment in terms of, is this the best thing I ever made? Is this the most timeless thing I ever made? Is this the most important thing I ever made? No, you make a little thing and you say, do I like it? It doesn't mean, is it the best thing I ever made? You just go, oh, do I like it? Yeah, I like it. Why do you like it? It'd be nice you can articulate one or two words and say, well, because it, it makes my arms cross over each other and I think that's funny looking. Okay, move on. It's not bigger than that. But this idea of efficiency in a process and how you can learn to learn and how you can curate and how you can document efficiency and documentation, efficiency. That was one thing I thought about. And just to say efficiency isn't about doing the least work. It's not about being lazy. Oh, I want to be really efficient, so I'm not going to spend a lot of energy. No, no. It's about doing what's necessary. Efficiency is about spending the being economical with like doing having the necessary amount of energy and having the necessary amount of effort to make these things happen which could be a lot of energy and effort right it doesn't mean mm. just because you're being efficient doesn't mean you're not working hard <laughs> and so then the last quality of these three qualities is sustainability and that's been more recent within the past couple of years because i have seen these students come to the institution who give up the control of their lives to the institution in terms of their creative process and their juggling journey they say, well, the school's going to take care of me. I'm going to go to school for three years. And when I'm done with school, all's going to be good. <laughs> they're going to have told me the secret and they're going to, I'm going to be a juggler then. Right. Mm, mm. And you know, that's not the case, man. You know, what goes on in the offices behind the scenes. Many times it's, it's pretty chaotic. Yeah. There isn't a grand plan. There isn't a secret sauce or whatever that these kids are going to get. That's just going to automatically work and take care of them. And so this idea of sustainability also includes, um, it is it is the infrastructure of your practice, like the very, you know, the physical goods of how, let's say I have an idea for a new prop. How can I make that, how can I make that happen in reality? Like, how can I navigate the juggling culture to make that happen? Or how can I get money to make that happen or whatever? It's also the sustainability in terms of, th this is, this has come up, this was something that I don't think is obvious. So I really want to highlight it and point it out. And this came up in many recent years with um, students who have struggled through mm -hmm. the system. And it's this idea of sustainability in terms of your passion and curating your interest in juggling and protecting your love of juggling, protecting it. Because that is a valuable thing that we never talk about out loud. It's just assumed like, oh, you like juggling enough. You went to circus school, so you must love it now and forever. You know, every few years we have a student who wants to quit, who has a crisis. Yeah. And I started to realize, oh, you know, I have built in systems in my life previously, years ago, decades ago, that keep my passion for juggling alive. And it's not to be taken for granted. 
Because when you do, it does. It can disappear. You can lose it if you don't protect it. Yeah. And so that's something I think about in terms of a, a, a sustainable practice. Like how can you build into your practice these little techniques or, or tricks or whatever conventions that will allow you to still love what you do and make you want to do it more? Yeah. And it's not something to... It's And it's also something that we never talk about. Right. Yeah, I actually thought a lot about that and that's thing specifically how do you how do you have an active process in terms of your motivation and your inspiration that you don't have this that you're not um, um, inactive what do you call it you're not um, disengaged no what's the word when you're Passive, you're not mm. passive oh, okay. in, in terms of motivation and inspiration. You're not this person who goes into the studio and like, oh, is inspiration here today? Nope, it's not. Yeah. So the 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 kind of concrete tips I've been giving about that that seems that have worked very well for me is like when you find yourself in a position where you are motivated or you are inspired, take a moment and look around like. How did I end up here? What's happening? What's the circumstances that that seem to have been contributing to me being in this position? And write them down. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the same thing. It's it just goes back to this idea about being interested in juggling and having that be part of your process, and that can also fuel your your inspiration and passion and motivation and everything else. But it's like for the rest of my life, if I go watch some juggling. I'm not critiquing it or analyzing it to a, a dis- like to a distracting effect, but I am. I I don't. I rarely go see juggling and go, oh, that was cool, and just leave the conversation there with myself. I go, oh, I really love that. Wait, why did I love it? And then I try to say one or two words beyond just that I loved it, to try to actually engage with what I was seeing and the experiences I was having. I think it's like a lifelong. I don't know, habit I have now mm. that really does feed my process. And also the other, this other idea of building a sustainable practice to, to, to nurture your passion and to protect it is just giving space for it. Because all these things, again, we talk about, it sounds super heavy, I think, from the outside. It could, it could sound very intimidating. Like, oh man, they're saying stuff like institution and curation and sustainability. It's like all this kind of un, like big words that you know, sound fancy. That's just kind of like, it doesn't apply to me or it's not like, where's the reality. And it? it's just, it's a lot of intellectual, intellectualizing about, uh, it's just fun to talk about, but no, like in, in the end, it's, it's just, it's like really small practical things about like, you have a strict conscious practice motivation. Um, you go to the studio at these times, you are aware of these other things you observe, you reflect, you articulate all those things you said, but at some point you can also just give yourself an hour to chill <laughs> mm. and, to, and to just throw around three balls and not care. Mm. So it's a balance with all this stuff. You go to the extreme with this kind of, this kind of thinking we've been talking about and structuring in the institution even. And there is no, there is no, none of that free time. It is very easy to burn out your passion and to burn out your, your desire to do these things. You kind of kill that that internal fire but so one way i just mean is to leave a little room a little room for it here and there but hey we're going to talk more about that later so let's do that then 
I'll see you, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.